This episode is brought to you by Manscaped. Not sure what to give or receive as a gift this holiday season? Might we suggest Manscaped. Manscaped is the ultimate gift and they're here to change the men's grooming game. Get 20% off plus free shipping when you use the code LASERTIME at manscaped.com. Blackhawks down, Red Tails up, and Free Jack now, this week on 302010. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to 302010, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine, taking you on a rip-roaring journey across three decades. And in case you missed the last two weeks, we're on to the twos. Get those ones out of here. It is 1992, 2002, and 2012. We'll be talking about what came out within the week of January 14th through 20th, and by that I mean all the wonderful movies, TV shows, music, video games, and so very much more. Hi, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista, who else is with me? I'm Diana Goodman, and as always, I had something clever to say, and instead I have to say, R.I.P. everyone! Yeah, I couldn't help but notice, uh, I believe our list of things that came out is kind of geared towards at least acknowledging almost everyone we have tragically lost recently. So I know I made it a point to do that. And I'm pretty sure one of you did, too. And who else is with us? And I'm Gajayar Gajrolls. <laughs> I don't understand that yet, but I desperately want to. Our bouncing baby boy, J.R. Rawls. How you doing? How'd you la- what was the response to your first, first full episode as host? Well, uh, people seem to like it, except for one guy on Twitter who absolutely despises me. So that means I've made it as a podcast. You've guys. done it. Yay! You've done it. You know you've made it on the internet when you encounter negativity on Twitter. About some, just by being you, but thirty twenty ten. This is going to be a weird one. Um, there oh, are no. This is a packed one, man. I love. We're right in the lane of we have like quality stuff going into wide release from last year, mm-hmm. and a bunch of random crazy bullshit. Yes, some of my favorite pieces <laughs> of shit. So much crazy bullshit this week, like an insane amount. Like normally you're at like a five at crazy bullshit. I feel like we're maybe at a nine, like a nine point five. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's gonna be yeah. it's 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 we're in the sort of the dumping grounds, but also the hidden gem where you can occasionally unearth a hidden gem. And uh, television is usually coming back pretty strong, so there should be a lot of fun stuff to talk about. We are also recording from a year, twenty twenty two, where there are no Golden Globes. Yet, in the past three decades, there were. And that feels very odd because we will technically be celebrating the Golden Globes the year everyone's boycotting it and COVID won't allow it to happen. Yep. Um, and it wasn't broadcast. I think they announced winners. They did. People were just Twitter. like, oh, look, I won a Golden Globe, everybody. I did. I won Thanks. a Golden Globe emoji NFT. How do I take this home? <laughs> how do, how do... <laughs> but yes, it's going to be a great show. I got to say right off the bat, this show is executive produced by Christopher Hare and many other fine people at patreon.com slash laser time supporting this show and many others. I had so much fun on bonus time this week. I actually had an anecdote where I went out and something happened to me that was worth talking about because that hasn't happened a lot in the last two years because mm-hmm. no one gets yeah. to go out. And Mr. Diana Goodman, Michael Rapars, and uh, Maddie Allen talked with me about Matrix uh, 4 and Ghostbusters. See who better deals with nostalgia after a long period of time. And that was such a fun conversation. We started talking about 
sequels with the longest gap in between and which one we like the most. Uh, something JR, I can see his brain's already moving, thinking about. But it, yeah, that over there, 302010 Games is also happening. And I believe we have something. Yeah, we have The Leftovers from Ninja Game Apocalypse. So check that out. Patreon.com slash later time. Give us five bucks. We love you. Bye. 1992. We're talking about January 14th to the 20th. Let's begin in 1992, like we always do. You guys ready? What A little bit of news to bring you into what's happening outside the world of pop culture in 1992. Peace accords are signed, uh, ending the Salvadorian Civil War, ending 12 years of fighting, validating Yay. one Oliver Stone Yay. film. Uh, that yes. is good. Uh, the side effect is America takes in a whole ton of Salvadorans and they bring cool food with them. Yay! <laughs> I, I thoroughly wish I knew more about this because there is someone who has actually been on a podcast on these mics uh, who is a has a doctorate in history and has written a book on... Salvatorian Civil War and I don't know any we're like he's one of my best friends I'm like I don't know anything about this when are you gonna tell me uh because I don't hmm. I didn't even see that Oliver Stone movie uh but yeah oh, that's pretty good 12 years of fighting is has come to an end and that can't not be good I have yeah. not heard uh, something some like 50,000 dead yeah yeah I have not I've not heard them brought up in, in a context of a death toll since I was a little kid, and how is that mm. not great? Movies from 1992. The Hand That Rocks a Cradle is still number one at the box office, and I think Ooh. we talked about it that week, that last week. That's a little bit of a surprise, just because it is a cheap movie without any huge stars that is kind of lifetime-ish, but super fun, and the public Heck loved yeah. it. I yeah. do wonder what the last erotic thriller to debut at number one was technically it would have been last year Kenneth Branagh's dead again even though it's not very erotic <laughs> and it's not uh, thrilling now we got basic instinct still coming up kids that's right basic instinct yeah. is this year we that's are going to watch a, a moist hairy Newman staring at Sharon Stone's <laughs> vagina uh, that's where do you think I was going I, I, I thought a different place yeah uh, it is truly disturbing and the most boner deflating scene if you do not remember it because Jesus Christ <laughs> Wayne Knight is right there to ruin it for you also out this week in terms of movies especially if you like really bad ones uh, oh another, my God. another movie from Stan Winston directed by Stan Winston uh, a gnome named Norm starring Anthony Michael Hall and Jerry Orbach now what do you think this movie's about <laughs> This film taught me two very important things, okay? Mm -hmm. It taught me that the in this person's reality, the name Norm is pronounced Gnorm. Gnomes are pronounced Gnome. And this okay. Gnome named Gnorm likes to gafuck. Because <laughs> Gnorm is a gahorny gabastard. I mean... Oh, is that what that... Okay, okay. I'm just curious. That's not where I was going. I was going with... It's about a gnome that witnesses a murder. Yes. <laughs> it is, but he also <laughs> is like telling our protagonist, oh yeah, make her totally Yes, that's, that is the clip I have. It's, my, it's one of my favorite tweets of all time after I just bashed Twitter uh, from Kazmer on Twitter. It just I can't stress this enough. I watched this movie, Gnome Named Norm, last night and didn't edit it. And it's them, I, I, it's the end of the movie and I'm guessing them standing over the whole, it looks like a graveyard, over the whole Norm left in. And they're standing alone, and they don't know what to do. It's gone. Us. There's two of us. Uh. <clears throat> hey, slug lips. Something wrong with you. Make her toes curl. <laughs> and the movie just ends with a slow zoom to Lowrider of the <laughs> gnome character giving a thumbs up. 
And our listeners should know this movie also features a nude scene with Ganorm. What? Good God. You see his backside, and it's clearly meant to indicate that someone is staring at his front side. Oh, okay. Does does he have dangly bits beneath his uh, anus? You don't see that, but I think it's clearly implied. Again, nobody's fairly horny movie. For for what looks like a kid's movie. It. See, that's the thing. I was thinking they're trying to rip off E.T., but they're totally not. This yeah. is not... Maybe they're thinking E.T. was 10 years ago. Our audience is 10 years older. Maybe we're going after an older crowd, but this isn't the like magical adventure of some young kid. This is a you know detective uh, solving a murder, yeah, and is... he's having girlfriend <laughs> problems. And Gnorm <laughs> set off a whole string of events because he's Gahorny. He wanted to impress his Gnome girlfriend so he stole the MacGuffin and now he needs to get it back but it's clearly a major plot point that he wants to bang (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight no Um, and you should we should clarify Gnorm is a weird mushy looking puppet yes he is a very much a puppet otherwise some of the shit he said would be totally unacceptable and uh, you wouldn't want to show your kids. I and, think in the end it sounds like we did not learn the lesson of Howard the Duck. Or, or Theodore Rex. That's a good point. Or Tammy That's the T-Rex. Point. Like, we're trying to make it. Oh, no. Let's Do not bring Tammy and the T-Rex into this. <laughs> that is T- a masterpiece. Tammy the T-Rex is a, is a horny teen movie <laughs> that, that yes. is very bizarre. The internet isn't here yet to even download JPEGs of Tila Tequila, so we're just stuck with fulfilling our sexual fantasies through Gnorm's exploits. Good lord. Um, is this the end of Michael Hall? Up until Halloween Kills, maybe. I mean, he... It no. Was, no, he he, yeah. uh, he became... Uh, he had that little resurrection when he was in that USA show, The Dead Zone, which is like... Did I dream that? Because wasn't yeah. that a popular show for like a hot second that I didn't like? Yeah. The, the, uh, that was a thing that existed, I'm fairly was. certain. For several mm-hmm. seasons. And Halloween Kills is great. One of the year's best movies. And he is awesome. We also have movies coming out this week. And by this week, I mean hundreds of weeks ago. The 14th through the 20th of uh, January in 1992. We also have Rush with Jason Patrick, Jennifer Jason Lee, Sam Elliott, and Greg Allman. I should have written that. Greg Allman? Greg Allman? Yes. Greg Allman is a drug kingpin. I love this. You can't be a famous musician in a major motion picture. Not in 1992. I shouldn't be. There's no need to segue right away. Tell us what Rush is about. It's a undercover narc movie where Jason Patrick and Jennifer Jason Lee are. I feel like there should be a good like way to combine those two names. (laughs) Jennifer Jason Patrick. Jennifer Jason (laughs) Patrick. There you go. That works. Um, they are undercover drug agents and they get hooked on drugs and then they got to clean themselves up and they got to take down Kingpin Greg Allman. And uh, there's all kinds of like corruption and lies and deviousness and stuff. Yeah. I was thinking this was going to be a cop film, but it's honestly more of an addiction film. It's Yeah. Yeah. The majority of it is dealing with addiction. It's just mm-hmm. the people who are addicted happen to be undercover cops. Right. And they get addicted because sometimes drug dealers would be like, no, I want to watch you taste the merchandise. That way that proves you're not a cop. And they're like, OK, oh, no, heroin just turns out it's fun. <laughs> um, yeah, it's pretty good. And it's but it's it's lasting impact. We will talk about when we talk about music. Yeah. It's like, there's a movie. I, I, oh, it's all right. right. Oh, my God. Oh, I forgot about that. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. That had to be briefly mentioned all the time. Um, mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. never saw this movie in here. Haunting me again. Here it is. Holy shit. Yep. 
And I would say this is Jennifer Jason Lee's film rather yeah. than Jason Patrick's because yeah. Jason Patrick starts at the bottom and then he just keeps digging. Hmm. Um, but Jennifer Jason Lee's character really goes through much more of an arc. The ending, though, I, mm. I, I don't get what they were trying to say because at the very end, I'm going to spoil it for everyone. Please. She renounces the dirty cop tactics they were trying to do to put the big bad away. And then it's heavily implied that she just goes on to murder the big bad. Right. So I guess the lesson is that framing someone is wrong, but murdering them is okay? I, I didn't get what they were trying to say. I can sort of see that because, uh, you know, what are you framing someone to let the state take care of them, run them through the ringer? Do it yourself. <laughs> Yeah. Do it yourself. Yes. Yeah. It's not about grow justice. A, it's about revenge. Grow yeah. a pair, Karen. Quit trying to call the cops. Like, <laughs> take care of it. Throw a punch. Do it yourself, Karen. And I do have to mention this mm -hmm. film came out in 1992, mm -hmm. and it, the events took place in 1978 to 1979. And I feel like 1978 and 1979 are further away culturally from 1992 yeah. then 2008 is from 2022. Like if you were to make oh, geez, a yeah. period yeah. film set in 2008, people would be like, what the heck? But having a 70s film in the early 90s is total period. It's just like, yeah, that was a different time, That's man. pretty nuts. You could not make a period 2008 film at this point. I don't think you could. I mean, no. do you yeah. what are you going to do? Have someone sincerely say thanks, Obama? <laughs> like the, yeah, you can yeah. have cultural signifiers in there, but the but differences are have the vibe not that and big. The right. Yeah, man, the economy sure does suck. Sucks to be young. Oh, <laughs> I like man. walking around without a mask on my face. Don't you? <laughs> man, my parents used to get benefits. Remember those? <laughs> it's amazing that you said 2008 because our next movie takes place in the far off year of 2009. <laughs> Whoa! Oh. Nelly with, is terrified with a with a setting with you with a setup in in 1990 oh 91 actually 91 yeah um same as uh man Amanda Plummer as none uh David Johansson fucking Mike Jonathan Banks uh Anthony yeah. Hopkins for some reason Renee Russo <laughs> for some reason Mick Jagger out of nowhere for some reason. and For some reason. The only one who matches this production is Emilio Estevez. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Free Jack. Alex Furlong is about to die. And enter the year 2009, where money can buy anything. Someone paid to bring him back. Including life itself. Why me? Why don't they just grab somebody who's alive now? I can't tell you that. Emilio Estevez, Mick Jagger, Rene Russo, and Anthony Hopkins. Welcome to my mind. Free Jack, rated R. <laughs> I thought this was delightful. I haven't oh, thought about this, this movie. This is quality stupid cheese. Yeah. Primo yeah. cheese. Like the, the available good. on HBO Max. It, yep. Just just a, a big thick melty slice of craft singles. Maybe something shittier. Maybe like just above between craft singles and government cheese, you have free jack. Yeah, it sounds like cheese. I had it written down in my notes. It actually sounds like something someone would yell adult swim style at a well-organized orgy. <laughs> so I, I don't have the punchline worked out, but there's got to be some joke that starts with the coach of the Mighty Ducks, the lead singer of the Rolling Stones, and Hannibal Lecter walk into a bar. <laughs> I, I believe Anthony Hopkins will be talking shit about this movie very soon because he is hours away from winning an Oscar. And, Basically. and is somewhere is some for some reason in this movie, which is bad but wonderful. It wonderful. is wonderful. I I 
spent a big chunk of the day Googling because I feel like I've seen something like this before. The idea that you teleport out or time travel out people right when they're about to die because it, then they won't be missed. Yep. It was a, it was, I think it was a plot the, point. There in was a... an airplane. They, they teleported people out of an airplane before they were going to die. Yes. A Stephen... yes. Film. yes. Yes. And they did There's it in a, an episode of the Orwell, the Orville. Oh. It was a collector oh. who collected uh, crash ships and would teleport them right before they historically died. So then he huh. could have them. Yeah, and it was I feel also like there was some other place I saw it more recently. But yeah, that's the idea is that in 1991, Emilio Estevez is a race car driver who's about to crash and die horribly. And just as he hits off in the far off future of 2009, where it's super <laughs> post-apocalyptic, yes. Anthony Hopkins's company teleports him out so they can like steal his body so they can put anthony hopkins's consciousness into him so he yes. can like keep recycling bodies and live forever yes like, it's based on a story i believe called immortality immortality incorporated and mm -hmm. if it if it smells a lot like total recall it shares a screenwriter and yeah and it, it it does and it it just we just watched total recall this is so much cheaper oh, <laughs> this, oh, this, ridiculously this, so. oh my god i I really tried to find out why the fuck is Mick Jagger in here because he didn't he would act but not that often. I only saw what IMDb about trivia. This? They they asked they asked him a week beforehand and gave him a description like sounds great. Let's do it. <laughs> and uh, I, I, my theory is he wanted to do the second most embarrassing thing any member of the Rolling Stones has ever done, right behind <laughs> Keith Richards snorting his dad's ashes. He didn't want to go that far. He just wanted uh, to be at number two. It's pretty cool, uh, though. And so is Free Jack. I wish I could snort my dad's ashes and be in Free Jack. Don't listen to him, Dad. Uh, he's still alive. He's still <laughs> yeah, with us. It's, I mean, so much of it is just, you know, the scary post-apocalypse running around New York City, which is now just a constant war zone. Park Slope is the scariest neighborhood <laughs> in the world. Constant gun battles happening in Park Slope, and it's not like lovely lesbian couples and their families. And you know, you know how they do guns. that? They shoot uh, for New York, stand in Atlanta. Atla ah. Atlanta. Atlanta makes for a really good dystopian Park Slope. Yeah, and then, so it's mostly just him on the run and the constant violence and craziness, and it's so stupid. But I did find one glimmer of like, oh, well, this brought us a good thing. We would not have the movie Nightcrawler without this movie. Right, the uh, guy, the, one of the screenwriters, right, Dan one Gilroy? One of the screenwriters, oh. Dan Gilroy, mm -hmm. this is where he met his wife, Renee Russo. Mm -hmm. And he went on and wrote The Fall and Real Steel and Born Legacy and Nightcrawler. Hell so. Yeah. There you go. I love when little things like that work. Out. I'd marry that yeah. guy. Uh, I, I just I'd marry Renee Russo. Me too. Oh my god. <laughs> Me too. Uh, Renee Russo is gorgeous. She just, even though she looks like a hot grandmother, always has. I like her. I like her. I like her bone structure. So I've always liked her because she's like she's always been a grown ass woman. Yep. Even when she was young, she just comes across as a grown ass woman. Mm -hmm. yeah. And in like the last thirty years, she's aged like maybe ten years. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's a uh, little spooky. You can look up pictures of her from two thousand nine, and she looks perfectly like her character playing <laughs> her twenty years older. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so seventeen years is the distance in time when he jumps to the future, mm -hmm. and this is a lady who was in love with a man in her, in her early twenties. Now she's in her early 40s my question is if either of you jump forward in time 
17 years, would you like expect someone that you were dating in your early 20s to still be totally into you in their early 40s? Because that's, oh. I, I recall my early 20s, it's it's a different vibe than your early 40s. Yeah, that's that's kind of an unfair, that's an unfair expectation, even if you are literally married. Like, you should love me 17 years later. <laughs> well, yeah, in those 17 years, she's seen some shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah, she's witnessed uh, nationwide collapse, the fall of the ozone layer, degradation of society to the point where a nun routinely pulls out a gun if you come into her church. So, you know. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the only part I, I didn't get. It, it, I love the movie's conceit on why Emilio Estevez, because one, he has one of the first viral deaths in sports. He gets his F1 car flown up to, to a bridge. He crashes an F1 car into a bridge in midair. And yeah, you know, if, if you get your tire footage. bumped, your car flies 30 feet in the air. I mean, you've seen, <laughs> you've seen F, F1 cars can, like, take the wind and flip backwards. I've seen it before. I've seen stranger shit with F1s. And But then, like, but why him? He's like, he's athletic. The ozone layer hasn't affected him. He's not addicted to all these ruddy drugs on the street. I think Mick Jagger delivered, delivered this explanation. Like, mm-hmm. but still, why him? Like... <laughs> There's How like, about someone from pre-industrial times? Right. Then? There's still a ton of cancer in America in the 90s. Well, that that's the given answer. At the very end of the film, mm-hmm. we uh, oh, right. learn that the reason is Anthony Hopkins is a super creepy stalker. Yeah. Mm. Like, like, he wants to possess the body of Rene Russo's dead husband so that Rene Russo will start responding to his text messages. That's <laughs> essentially <laughs> the plot of this film. Oh. <laughs> All right, everybody, free Jack. That's sorry. Fucking free Jack. Yeah, it's so dumb. It's so dumb. But the last thing I want, there's two more things I want to say about it. I can't think of another film more synonymous with HBO. I I feel like (laughs) I could give you, I could give anyone in our audience $50 if you can prove you saw this in the theater, because I don't think anybody did. But I remember, we didn't have HBO, but I loved HBO. I'd go next door and try and watch HBO at like 8 o'clock, because that's when the, you know, more naughty movies came on, and every night, every sleepover, Free Jack was playing at least once for like three years. Free Jack was everywhere. Did anybody see mm. this in the theater, or did everybody see this on HBO? We had a uh, sleepover party where we rented it from Blockbuster, but I, I could not imagine anyone seeing this in the theater. The only film on HBO that may compete for it is uh, back when HBO stood for, hey, Beastmaster's on. <laughs> <laughs> One last clip I got from the movie that I thought was super odd. This movie has some of my favorite futuristic vehicles because some of them are clearly like mm. pre-existing current vehicles just painted very, very bright and obnoxious colors. And the others are like Demolition Man, Snorks-esque, <laughs> smooth rides. Mm. With They thought we'd advance a lot in 17 years during a worldwide collapse. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I felt like half of them looked like Tesla Cybertruck. So Where it's just... Yeah, but then, then, then they have those rhombus made of metal. Then they have the, those cars that look like they should be driven by Ace and Gary from the ambiguously gay duo, <laughs> where, where like the driver's head is exposed, where and the, the passengers are not, and you can literally see this thing wobbling down the street, about to fall over. It's yeah. it's so poorly constructed, and there's so there's a great car chase scene, and in that scene there are bystanders who jump out of the way, and I was expecting like a Wilhelm scream, but from a faceless bystander. You get, I heard this. Ah! Like, 
<laughs> yeah. Did you hear it's that? I feel good. Did you hear that? You yeah. almost hit James Brown. No, 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 no. no not James Brown. <laughs> I could, I, I could not stop rewinding and like, what the fuck was that? Was that a tiger or James Brown? And I, I couldn't find any proof, but it, I really think James Brown's scream is isolated during this car chase. <laughs> It could have been added in because yeah. they uh, ran this film through test screening. Oh, yeah. It got a bad oh, review. Bad. And so they added a bunch of humor into it to try to get it to be more favorable. So pretty much any joke you see in this movie was probably part of that. Review. Yeah. Do you have the director's name, Dime? Yeah. Jeff Murphy. Jeff who's Mur- a, a Kiwi who didn't do all that much. Uh, this was his big shot, which failed. But. He did end up having a very successful career. He's the second unit director on all the Lord of the Rings movies. Like all of them. Ooh. Like he all of his, them. His so anytime is... there's a pretty shot of mountains, damn it, that's Jeff Murphy. <laughs> yeah. That's a hell of a job. What do you do? That's a great I go, job. I go filming beautiful scenery and I get paid for it. Yeah. yeah. What do you do? And I did Yeah, you need a shot of a horse running to a building? I can do that. Yeah. Yeah, and I've Call I, Jeff. I've done it for at least like what, six years of the last thirty, because that's how long those movies have been filming. But uh mm-hmm. Free Jack was like Man, it is like the exact type of movie I want to watch with my friends as soon as we can like get back together and start watching movies again. Yeah. God, that it's a fun. lot funnier because 2009 is in the past. I think it's fun, more fun now than it would have been in 1992. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And this is streaming on HBO Max. The next movie I totally forgot about because Free Jack just had me... <laughs> <laughs> slapping my knees and rocking back and forth. But I remember it because I am 11 and it is the first Steve Martin movie. My parents are like, no, we're not taking you to see that. Yep. And <laughs> that would also include Jeremy Sisto, Alfred Woodard, Mary Louise Parker, Steve Martin, uh, Mary McDonald, Danny Glover, Kevin Klein in Grand Canyon. What you so nervous about, man? Which one are you call for the truck? Me, that was me. I think maybe you saved my life. Man, you are a piece of work. I know. The white guy. You white? <laughs> that baby needs someone to love it and take care of it. Does it have to be you? I believe that there's a reason I found her. The last thing you had in mind was to start a new family with all the whining and the diapers. Jane, are you married? Would you like to meet this guy? I don't know. What does he look like? How important is that? Somewhat important. Grand Canyon, everyone. This is like the Yay. Magnolia for the 90s. Yeah. So you remember how last week we talked about uh, Jake Kasdan making a movie? Oh. Ten years earlier, this is what his parents were doing. Right. Yeah, it's Lawrence and his wife, Meg. She's a co-writer. They sold this as being like Big Chill for the 90s, but it's not. It's no. more like Crash and Shortcuts, but not so heavy-handed. Mm. I, I mean, Kind of. It's an adult movie for adults. The yeah. title Grand Canyon is meant to be symbolic. It's the literal canyon is featured in this film, but it's about the gulfs that divide people of different classes and ethnicities. Um, mm-hmm. That's the big theme of the film. Yeah. Uh, but it's also tackling a lot of personal problems unrelated to that. Uh, the wife of uh, Kevin Klein finds a baby, wants to adopt it. And Kevin Klein has a 15-year-old son and he's seeing college like, just a few years down the road. And he's kind of like, I'm done with that. I don't want to get back to diapers. And that's a major source of conflict in this film, which really has nothing to do with class. Mm-hmm. Except yep. for the well, idea, like, uh, 
I'm not sure you can still find a baby and just adopt it. There might be a process. Oh, uh, that's, well, that's part of the they're... process. They get <laughs> yeah. into that. It's a big bureaucratic thing they're going Yeah, and their teenager is baby Jeremy Sisto mm-hmm. from Six Feet Under that we talked about last year. Clueless. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't notice that. Yeah, but uh, I mean, some of it just... It feels very try hard and dated because there's, uh, you know, it kind of kicks off with Kevin Klein's car breaking down in like Inglewood or, you know, the bad part of L.A. that you don't go to. And he's immediately menaced by a bunch of black teenagers. And then Danny Glover shows up as the tow truck driver and kind of negotiates their way out of getting mugged. And then he's like, oh, you're actually pretty cool. Like, we should hang out more. Can you be my black friend? <laughs> and then gets like more and more involved in his life. And it's like, that's sort of positive. But also they do sort of point out, it's like, are you trying to be some sort of white savior? Like, dude, why? And that's interesting. You know, I mean, yeah, some of it, it's weird having, you know, just talked about Boys in the Hood not too long ago to be like, yeah, we're, we're still talking about like how fucked up some of these neighborhoods are. But we're also not talking about like how they got that way. It's just sort of like, well, everyone there is bad. Like, no. Yeah, there's a lot of people of color menacing white yuppies in this that made me a little uncomfortable. I'm really glad, Chris, that your parents did not let you watch this because Steve Martin gets shot in the leg point blank. Yeah. He's himself and throws up. (laughs) And then there is really nasty surgery of it. I I think I did see that part of it a long time ago because I mean, it was disturbing. Yeah. Well, other than class, the big thing this movie is trying to tackle is the rising crime rate. Back in yes. 1992, the U.S. crime rate had been rising steadily for about 30 years. Mm-hmm. It was more or less 400% what it had been 30 years before. And that yeah. would continue until the mid to late 90s when it began to decline. Mm-hmm. And we all here have been our entire adult lives in a largely declining crime yes. event. It's, it's something I never get tired of pointing out to uh Try hard Bible thumpers and Republicans who want to talk about crime rates. Like we've, we're all living through like the biggest drop in crime. I don't know yeah. what you're talking about. This yeah, used, this, this used to work it, when I was a kid. It it feels damn near apocalyptic. Like it really mm-hmm. feels like any second now, everything, everyone's going to die. But if you put yourself in the mind of the people who made it, they'd had thirty yeah. years of rising crime rate and, and no riots. Was, they had they, they've had riots. They've they've had, they've, riot. they've had no, people getting no, shot. The riot. The riot is coming up. That's the thing. No, no, LA, LA has had plenty of riots. Well, okay, and, they had Watts and they've had all kinds of other disturbances. The, but the, the, the idea that LA is on the brink of something exploding yes. is actually very fucking precious. Very, very true. And, and because, like, I only remember because LA story makes a huge joke about having a gun in the glove compartment. It's open season, the LA freeway, because it was only like four mm-hmm. news stories, but like, it's not just road rage, like road rage at 70 to 80 miles an hour. That was happening in L.A. <laughs> with guns. And and yeah. that, yeah, it did seem like things were corroding over there. You didn't so much see it in my hometown, or I don't know about yeah. yours. But that but was where Diana is. I did appreciate that it wasn't just like, oh, these gangs are out of control. There's fucking animals. Mm-hmm. Like, because we did get a scene of a black teenager getting stopped by cops with guns drawn because he's running somewhere. Mm, yeah. And it's like, that still rings true. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Danny's Glover's character is talking about how things didn't used to be this way. And as mentioned before, he would have been alive at a time when they weren't. And the filmmakers had no idea crime was going to start declining in a few years. No mm-hmm. one did. Um, mm-hmm. So that's yeah. the mindset in which films like this are made. Yeah. Had, yeah. had no idea. Any of this had to do with uh, gun control laws and uh, maybe some housing regulations. Yeah, and mm-hmm. all kinds of shit that we're rolling back very, mm-hmm. very steadily. Yeah, yeah. it's 
it, it's tough. It's like I almost want to recommend it. But it does feel very of its time. And there are some times where I just look at it and be like, oh, you have no idea. Y'all had it good. But no, they didn't. Because, yeah, like you said, violence was actually really freaking bad in the early 90s, especially gang violence. But I don't know. It's sort of, yeah, I, shortcuts and crash are the th two things I can think of to compare it to. Mm -hmm. I, um, I would say you can They're both watch... more on the nose. This is more general character-based than something like Crash, which is very clearly trying to make a point. But also kind of a bit like a period piece, although it was, of course, temporary yeah. at the time. But this mm -hmm. is very much a 1992 film only could be filmed within a few years back or forward yeah. in the same way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's almost like something you'd, you'd need in a scholarly paper about anything but film just because it crystallizes a very small <laughs> portion of a geopolitical blobbity book right in this movie, mm -hmm. Grand Canyon. Yep. And then moving on to television, oh boy, what a better time than now to bring up Full House in an episode called Crushed. <laughs> you take it, JR. <laughs> so Bob Saget is called America's Dad exclusively because of Full House. That's mm -hmm. where everyone really thinks of him that way. Maybe a little America's Funniest Home Videos, but he wasn't really giving off the dad vibe in that. But in this well, sitcom, it's, it's full-on dad mode. And he's not a major person in this episode. He doesn't have an arc or anything like that. It's really about DJ and Stephanie. But he's there, and he's providing uh, good fatherly advice. And you can see in this episode why he's called America's dad. So in this episode, uh, Tommy Page to the Tanner's home to sing Stephanie a birthday song. During that episode, he, in my opinion, totally hits on uh, DJ and then later denies it. It's really creepy. Tommy, would you please straighten everybody out about what's going on between us? Well, DJ and I had a really fun day, and I hope that we could be good friends. Friends? You mean just friends? Yeah, I'm sorry if you misunderstood. So this guy does things other than acts, is what you're telling me. <laughs> yeah, he his big hit was I'll Be Your Everything a couple of years earlier, but he would be in his 20s at this point. He was 25. DJ is canonically 16 years old. Ooh. He asks her to show him around town, mm -hmm. takes her in his limo, brings her back home, kisses her on the lips, oh. and then says, I'm sorry you got the wrong idea. <laughs> Mr. Tommy Page. I, I wrong ideas, sir. I was going to say the most dated thing in this clip was, uh, hey, 15-year-old, want to show me around Chinatown and Fisherman's Wharf? I'm like, I lived in that city for 15 years. No fucking teenagers going to those areas alone and showing a stranger around. What's there to... You don't need to be shown anything. Just drive up and down the street. Yeah. I guess, well, if you want to go to... You need to know which this alley our, has the, the fortune cookie factory. Okay. And this is our Bubba Gump shrimp comb. Because Bob Saget dying... And I think one of the only reasons we pointed out this episode to begin with, because yeah. that was sort of out of nowhere. And if you forget how that story went, he's the last person cast on this show, like as an emergency recast as kind of the main character, because Bob Saget was a talented comedian, but kind of a gifted actor, at least in terms of like this job, sitcoms. He was great. Mm -hmm. He was amazing. He could be serious. He could have throwaway funny lines, but he was kind of the anchor to this terrible show. That I watched oh, almost every it's second of. Awful. Uh, I'll never forget watching this as a too old to be watching this boy. And my friend was making fun of me for watching it. And I said, no, it's good. And he went, okay, let's watch it. And then <laughs> as we were watching it, every time the laugh track came up, 
he laughed in person. <laughs> and you have not heard an annoying laugh so much as someone copying the laugh track from Full House. Because then you realize, Ooh. wow, none of this is funny. No one should be laughing at this. I am a bad person for watching yeah, this show. But I can't, I can't pretend, you know, I didn't spend upwards of an hour a day with Bob Saget at certain points in my childhood because I did. Oh, yeah. And and I, I get once again, I don't know what's going on with Jimmy Kimmel. He just posted a video that's just all him crying as a tribute to Bob Saget with some clips, which I love when he when Fred Willard died, he devoted a whole show as a tribute to Fred Willard. And Bob Saget's one of those comedians like he's never been my cup of tea, TBH. But I've mm-hmm. never heard a comedian say a bad thing about him. And he always interacts with every comedian group. Yeah, as, I, I think we've really learned from his passing he was a comedian's comedian yeah other comedians appreciated him more than i think the rest of us than the rest than most other people and and i think that norm mcdonald dying he said like i love bob saget like why he's the first comedian i ever saw and i went up to him and i said stuff and we've been friends ever since because that's how bob saget is like for some reason like yeah norm's first comedian went on to direct dirty work with him where once again Artie lang is alive <laughs> over Chris Farley, Bob Saget, Norm Macdonald. He outlived Jack Warden and Don Rickles, for fuck's sake. Uh, uh, um, <laughs> this is kind of our way of saying R.I.P. Bob Saget, because that was not fun. Um, no. And, you know, people who cared about him as a professional and people who knew him personally, hearts are with you, thoughts are with you, all that stuff. And, yeah. and, and this isn't the first time we're going to do that this show, so uh, get out those buckets for the tears. God yeah. damn it. I'm just kidding. Now should we talk about the talking dog show? Thank you! <laughs> Thank you. Tequila and Bonetti? This is a great Tequila title. Tequila and Bonetti. I drink or that every night. As its alternative title. Tequila and a delightful Italian stereotype. Ah, uh, I am, I am. Don't, don't. Uh, yeah, it's Turner and Hooch the show, except, you know, with like cop stuff. And Bonetti <laughs> is, you know, very Italian. And now he's, oh, he's going to New York where everything is, hey, what are they doing over here? It's fucking crazy. Also, it co stars Mariska Hargitay and Charles Rocket. Oh, who sweet. Both deserve better even then. <laughs> <laughs> they do cut from fairly brutal murders to yes. the dog talking. Yes. And it's a yes. bit of a like juxtaposition where it's like, what type of show am I watching? Because I can imagine tuning in. Okay, I'm watching a uh, cop drama, fairly standard procedure. Wait, did that dog just talk? What the hell am I watching here? Yeah. Why yeah. don't you, like... you plant <laughs> the drugs on them? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where it's like, uh, guys... We got kids here. What are you doing? <laughs> you, you have a you have a talking dog. You're gonna have a bunch of kids show up. You don't bring a talking dog into prime time. Um, oh, it's so bad. I think this is cinema snob has done a review of like every episode and it always ends with his brain just exploding. Just, I can't believe this was on television. What the fuck? I'm starving to Keelan Benetti. Yum. Oh. And then uh, on, on the twentieth, there's the debut of the Dennis Miller show, which is. Hey wonderfully tragic and silly and before he sucked yeah that, that's that's a, a, another thing i remember reading from norm's passing like he said he never wanted to do weekend update until he saw dennis miller do it because before that saturday night live's weekend update was parroting the news and you had to pretend to be a newsman and dennis miller went up there with like clearly his own haircut <laughs> giggled his way through his jokes and then like made spontaneous jokes on top of those jokes and turned it into a vehicle for jokes and kind of stand-up but 
I would say Dennis Miller is the author of Weekend Update as we know yes, it today. That me, mm-hmm. me as well. I get confused because like, is Tina Fey a newscaster? Or is that just her delivery? And I'm like, I think that's just her delivery <laughs> on Weekend Update. But everything you've seen since is kind of in the unique style of those people's way of telling jokes, or at least that eventually bleeds through like it has now with Colin Jost and Michael Che. They weren't like that in the beginning, but uh, Dennis Miller kind of paved that that way, and it was kind of, yeah, of course this dude should have a talk show, but he's got a, he's got a syndicated talk show, not just mm-hmm. competing with the yeah. networks, but com- competing with Arsenio, and he did want to try and have political guests. There's kind of a rough abortion issue comes up, and people start protesting the show. I remember uh, just a couple of people having anecdotes of being on the show, like it Dennis Miller talking about it like it was fucking hell. And he eventually settles into that HBO talk show, which is like, if I could ever host a show, it might be a little more like that. Like, mm. which basically has two two monologues <laughs> and then a very casual chat making fun of your guest in, in between and making fun of callers. Yeah, uh, that, that HBO, that's, yeah Dennis yeah. Miller Live on HBO it looks like that starts in 94. And it's mm-hmm. like, that, that was where he needed to be. Yeah. You know, it was basically yeah. the Bill Maher slot before Bill Maher came on. It seems like he would be a natural for a talk show. Like, you know, it was got... talk show-ish. Yeah. It was mm. not playing to his strengths. Uh, they started having mm. problems getting interviewers because a lot of people didn't like being interviewed oh. by mm. Dennis Miller. Yep. Um, do you know who the first choice for this? Because this was made when Johnny Carson had announced his retirement, but right. hadn't retired yet. Yeah, and year. they were like, let's swarm like piranhas get in and there. try to bite this off. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had someone and they couldn't get him. So Dennis Miller was the second. Was it you Sinbad? Was the first? Uh, nope, not Sinbad. Not yet. Gary Shandling. Oh, right, right. hot damn. Yeah. It's always Gary Shandling. He's, he's, he's been pegged to be on like the, the host of like, 13 of these talk shows. Mm. And then went on to make a fantastic fictional talk yes. show, which I just yeah. adore. Yes. Larry Sanders show, one of the best shows of all. Oh, and that's yep. what it was. They're like the, it's like the only talk show the mystery science guys got to be on while that show oh, was really? in its ascent. And if you've read the, they have essays in the Amazing Colossal Episode Guide, and they talk about how difficult it looked, a time it looked like Dennis was having doing this show. Very sweaty mm. and stressed out. And yeah, I think he said on the set, you guys were a little too mean to that Gene Hackman Maroon movie. I'm like, Space Travelers? <laughs> I don't know why I'm recalling tales like that. Anyway, but uh, Dennis Miller, a guy, sure, let's hate him now. But like, man, he was good back then. And, and somehow, <laughs> the, the HBO show said less irritating conservative things than Bill Maher would say now. So yeah. I sort of wish it had it back. Yeah. I think I'm... Um... I'm detecting a theme already for this episode. Mm-hmm. This is, yeah, back before they said something really dumb. Or <sighs> before they did the bad thing. Yeah. Because oh. we got some more of those coming up. And I hate that I didn't know the next TV movie existed until the planning period of this show. I know. Now I'm mad. And I'm I want hu- this to be a show. I'm a huge fan uh, is uh, of this this comic series, the Harvey Kurtzman EC comic books. Uh, Two-Fisted Tales is made into a TV movie. With a great David Morse, William Sadler, Brad Pitt, Eric Douglas, uh, Lance Henriksen. William Sadler is in the first episode of Tales from the Crypt. He's yep. the star of the so, first. How? How does he keep doing this? Yeah, it's, you know, it's three separate stories and, you know, directed by folks who've been working on Tales from the Crypt, like, you know, Robert Zemeckis. And the idea that, like, we can do, like, more adventure stories, but they'll also have, like, a horror thing instead of just the straight horror of mm-hmm. Tales from the Crypt. Yeah, and, like, yeah. Westerns? Yes. Yes. Spooky Westerns. Yeah, westerns I want spooky Westerns. 
Uh, so two of three of these stories have zero supernatural elements in them. Mm. None okay. whatsoever. So they were definitely trying to branch out from Tales from the Crypt and do something else. Uh, nice. Is this on YouTube? Can I see this? You can see this in full on YouTube. Sweet. Okay, I might have to do that. Is this a clip of it or the, of a promo? Uh, it is the guy they were trying to make be the next Crypt Keek. Right, Mr. Um, Rush, who is a hard-talking, wheelchair-bound narrator. Yes. Ooh. What are you staring at? Have you never seen a gunslinger before? I took 12 bullets right here. Oh, they hurt, yeah. I didn't cry. I didn't even whimper. Because you would know about that, would you? Because you never took any slugs, did you? Of course it's William Sadler, because if you've seen the first episode from <laughs> Tales in the Crypt, it's him talking to camera the whole show, as if he's also this character. I love that. And man. where would people know William Sadler from, Chris? Uh, he's the one of the head sister in Shawshank Redemption. No, <laughs> what? we're not. We're not going with Death from Bill and Ted. Oh right, he's Death from Bill and Ted. <laughs> <laughs> or the bad guy from uh, was it? Oh, Die fuck. Hard Two. Yeah, Die Hard Two. He's the, he's the best. He's like. The it's best great. in everything he's in, and more people should know his name, William Sadler. Also this week on television, the 49th annual Golden Globes. Ha ha! Who's ready to celebrate the Golden Globes? Um, uh, not people of color. Yeah. Well, you never know. <laughs> the Hollywood foreign press turns out to be not terribly foreign. At least they're not mm. going into Inglewood or whatever we said earlier. Um <laughs> Uh, Europa Europa wins best foreign language film. Bugsy Ooh. wins best drama. Beauty and the Beast wins best musical slash comedy. The probably the worst category in all of Golden Globe. That is the dumbest category. It really is. Why? Yeah. Were, were there really that many musical seriously television shows that yeah. were like we have to include this? Yeah. That'd... Yeah. Well, I mean, in the categories, the commitments, which I guess you can argue is also a musical. And they but, sing, they sing yeah, that. Yeah, Beauty and the Beast meets uh, City Slickers. They sing, they sing Rawhide and City Slickers. Yeah, <laughs> no, uh, Fried Green Tomatoes, which isn't even out wide yet. Mm-hmm. We'll and talk about it next week. Fisher King, which should have gotten more awards all, yeah. all around. Uh, Northern Exposure wins Best Drama Series in Brooklyn. Which is bullshit. That was not a drama. It was just an hour long. That's basically True. how they determine what's a drama and what's a comedy. Yeah. Huh. That's um, a big part of it, yeah. And Brooklyn Bridge wins Best Musical or Comedy Series, a show I don't know if I've ever heard of before this very moment. We we talked about it. It was kind of like the Wonder Years, but in Brooklyn in the fifties. Wow, I it would... was it was really good. It did last long. I liked la- it as a long. kid. Yeah, I mean, finally we have a show that looks. We have anything that looks back fondly on Brooklyn in the fifties. Jesus I know, Christ. right? I, you think maybe they want us to play some stickball? What a drought would, <laughs> we had gone through. <laughs> and then and then lastly, on a little upstart channel called MTV, my buddy reached out to me to uh, say how he connected to the, my MTV rant from last week. And it's just, I found an illegal server where I've been watching nothing but like MTV shows from the 90s to remind me like, man, this channel was really fucking cool. And I don't even know about the coolness that happened before I was watching. Why did it give up being cool for no reason? But this is undeniably cool, even though I will change the radio station very fast if I hear anything from this album come on. Um, (laughs) MTV Unplugged, Eric Clapton, which... Yep. Your dad's favorite album. Yeah. Everyone's dad's favorite album. Yeah. So this is Synergy, Mm -hmm. because Rush came out this week, which Eric Clapton did the soundtrack for. Mm -hmm. So this is really just to promote that. But everyone loses their goddamn minds. And no one thought this was going to be a huge hit. No one was like, oh, we'll do this unplugged. You're going to sell a million copies. It was it was a small affair. 
There were 300 people there. Uh, Eric Clapton thought, oh, I'll do this. It'll be over, and no one will remember it ever I'll again. say something really racist in 30 years. Mm. And... <laughs> 30 years before. 30 years before. Yeah. No, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, like I said, people that, well, you're cool, except for you did a stupid thing. You said something really dumb. Yeah. So two huge takeaways from this. Honestly, this is what Unplugged was supposed to be. And yes, it's, between and then, this and Nirvana Unplugged, it's like, this is why I wish we still had a venue like this. Yeah. Of just like, take your music, strip it down, make it acoustic, and you appreciate <laughs> it in a new way. And I remember seeing the ads before this came out of just like half a bar of him sing- singing Layla slow and acoustic. Yeah. And everyone was like, what? whoa, can you do that? <laughs> oh, my I, I, God. I mean, I have to admit, I'm I'm a young young lad here. This is the first Layla I ever heard. I was shocked. Mm-hmm. To hear it was an older because this was like the second hit after Tears in Heaven. Yeah, I'd never I'd never heard the electric Layla before, and I was incredibly shocked. And for a yeah, while, preferred the unplugged fucking one. Fucking charged is like so. I mean, it's before there was heavy metal. Something with a riff that fucking hard. Mm-hmm. It's and- so yeah. It was like you know because I'm a classic rock person, so like I was already on board. I listened to you know cream Disraeli gears a lot as a kid because i was weird but like now everyone in high school suddenly knows who eric clapton is and they all love him and it's weird that is strange so in case our listeners don't know about the story of tears in heaven oh oh, brother you take it jr i'm known for making too many jokes about it get out your hankies a few months before this was recorded eric clapton's son connor who was Four years old at the time, was on the 53rd story. What I read is that he had a lot of trouble being a father to the baby, but that as Connor grew older, uh, became a toddler, he got closer and closer to Connor and was spending more and more time with him. Unfortunately, it was one of those series of events any one of which could have stopped this tragic occurrence but Mm -hmm. there was a cleaning person in they opened up the uh door to the outside which was clear and glass to clean it and then walked away to do some other job connor was playing peekaboo and running all over the place and apparently he just chose the wrong moment to run away and uh, the person watching him wasn't there in time, and he just fell 53 stories Jesus to his Christ. death. Yeah. I'm so glad we had no camera phones, because how the fuck would you uh, ever get that vision out of your head of a four-year-old? I, I, I'm actually, I, I was reading up a little bit on this, and to find out, oh, he didn't hit the ground, he hit a building next door, yeah. actually makes me feel a little bit better. I guess. Because... He, I mean, no one on the street got hit or traumatized. Yeah. 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 But uh, Eric Clapton was told about this, devastated, of course, and he had a thought about, you know, this is a four year old child. This four year old child goes to heaven. I'm not that old. I'm probably not going to go there for a long time. And Eric Clapton is a spiritual person. He does believe in an afterlife. And so he asked himself the question, if in 30, 40 years I go meet my son, is he even going to remember me? Because he Mm. died at four. And I looked up, Eric Clapton has called himself a born-again Christian. I looked up, there's no one answer, of course. Uh, There's a lot of different interpretations. But there's a lot of thought that when you go to heaven, 
you reach the same age Jesus was because of a certain Bible passage. So everyone in heaven huh. is 33. I would love to be 33 forever. That's such a good age. And that's uh, like a good deal, actually. It really does. Uh, you know, so Connor, four to 33. I can't have any, I have zero memories of a four year old. I can't remember a single thing from when mm. I was four. That's so it's about where my start. Yeah, it's very yeah. vague. I think but, I like this danger mouse thing. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I think it's if you believe in heaven and you believe people age in heaven, it's a heartbreaking question. Would my four year old even know who I am? Because, mm. oh, would you know my name? Four. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've never really looked at it like that before. Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. That makes the lyrics make yep and this this, but this and this makes mtv unplugged i think for another few years a sought after venue for certain bands to go on and and i think like diana was saying some of them take it very seriously like nirvana you know did an acoustic set which i don't know that they've ever done that there's any of the time they do that and uh other bands i saw like this is just a live performance oh and diana if you want a venue for this by the way there Mm -hmm. is one it's called pbs if you'd still like to see <laughs> bands perform, <laughs> just modeling performances, PBS is where you want to go. Yeah, but there were, I mean, there were some fun ones where it was like, you know, Springsteen came on and did sort of like half and half. Yeah. You know, LL Cool J show and like, you can rap over piano. Mm-hmm. It's fucking rad. I don't it's think, like, I think 10,000 Maniacs this. Unplugged album outsold any of their other album. Yeah, so see that. Yeah. Unplugged yeah. was super popular. And the last thing we had for Nirvana once Kurt Cobain died. I fucking love that mm-hmm. album. Great uh, album, man. Yeah. But Eric Clapton, I think, gives it the acclaim it hadn't quite had yet. And I didn't. And oh, none of the others were million selling albums. 26 million copies. Woof. Uh, and there are three blues songs on this album. And if you are willing to consider it a blues album because of that, which I think may be possible, it's the best selling blues album of all time. Wow. Take that, wow. Kenny G. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, MTV Unplugged used to be something we looked forward to. Oh man, how am I supposed to transition to video games from that? Jr. <laughs> Total Carnage out in arcades. <laughs> it's gonna destroy. <laughs> you know what I love hearing? The words "Total Carnage" yes. again and again and again and again. We call that the old attract mode, where video games would scream their names at you. Resident <laughs> Evil is like the and, and Super Mario are like the only games that carry that on they scream their title at you and that comes from the arcades because they wanted you to pay attention to it i gotta say i feel bad for the two protagonists in this arcade game it's mm-hmm. captain carnage and major mayhem because they are never getting a promotion uh, <laughs> no one's gonna want to ruin that alliteration no one oh, wants colonel uh, mayhem colonel mayhem no no one's gonna want that but uh yeah yeah the plot is there's a baby milk factory which is actually harvesting aliens and mutants and you and your friend have to go in and smash it it's it's smash tv set in desert storm that's what it is Mm -hmm. or or it's your seventh grade metalhead doodling notebook come to life I think it's yeah, it's canonically somehow sort of connected to Smash TV or maybe like an unofficial sequel. There's uh, some like Easter egg you can find in there. Yeah. Uh, Tiny Toon Adventures, Bab's Big Break for Game Boy comes out. I have never played this, but it's th- a standard platformer. Yeah, but there there are no there are not very many bad Tiny Toon Adventures games. It's strange. And most of that is due to Konami. Back when they made games, we're making a bunch of these Tiny Toons games, and they're all pretty goddamn good from this period. I made a little video out of it on youtube.com slash laser time. Search there. 
No one did at the time, and that's why I don't make them anymore. Um, the the only slam I want to give out on this game is it's a fine platformer. If you want your platforming, this will platform all you want. But it's called Bab's Big Break. And what three characters can you play in this no, game? No, you're fucking kidding. I'm not kidding you. You cannot play Babs in Babs. What the Big fuck? Break. There's games where you... What? There, there are other games where you can play as Babs. This makes no fucking sense. You can play as Buster, Buster, Plucky, Plucky and Tasmanian Devil. Oh, Ham- Hampton. Oh, Hampton. Hampton. Diana knew this too. I'm very Hell proud yeah. of you. Very proud of you. Um, I, I'm very proud to say last, the second, no, the third to last time I got my COVID test, uh, I waited in a room alone, masked, and organically watched the Tiny Toons Halloween special because that nurse is amazing. I don't know if that was on television <laughs> or if she put that on specifically to calm me down, but it worked. <laughs> Nightshade Part 1 is also out this week for NES. I've never heard of this, JR. The so cl- it's a point-and-click adventure game, which is not very common the worst for the NES. On NES. Oh. There's mm-hmm. like maniac mansion and this but it also tries to be an action game it's it's pretty bad controls like mm-hmm. point and click is bad on the nes and then they made every single bad design choice they could what i played it seems to have really really good humor for a 1992 nes game i will give it that and it appears to be fairly open world but the controls are just too clunky i can't Slow imagine playing this. scrolling game. to the right i missed it i gotta go back what? last thing i want to mention about nightshade is it has the coolest continuous system i've ever seen in a video game okay because if you want to continue this game you have to solve a James Bond death trap, <laughs> which I think is a nice little little so, little thing. So you to can throw fail there. to continue. Yes, you can. Hell yeah, that is pretty neat. Nineteen ninety two music, black or white by Michael Jackson is still number one. And oh, yeah, if we didn't say earlier, Eric Clapton wrote the music in the movie Rush, and he's promoting right. the movie Rush to make Eric Clapton unplugged. I forget because that initial is there a plugged in version of Tears in Heaven or is it an all acoustic song? No, it's an acoustic song, but yeah. the official video has, has footage from, from Rush in it. But like everyone knows it's about his dead son, so it's sort of weird. Like, why is Jennifer Jason Lee like washing <laughs> Jason Patrick's hair <laughs> lovingly? That because I never I never saw the movie and you know, it's the nineties, we can't look it up. I always thought it was about a baby. But now I know it's just about like, man, we got too good at Addiction. our jobs. Yeah. <laughs> so it's about being an addicted cop. Wow. And also new release, self-titled by Stacey Earle, and then Rush. The Rush soundtrack by Eric Clapton. And obviously we'll go out with Tears in Heaven. And uh, not the song from the Mr. Show sketch that makes fun of this, where the two musicians try and encounter more tragedies so they can write more <laughs> Grammy winners off the hit of Mouthful of Sores. Yeah. Oh no, we'll be talking about that next segment. (laughs) What? Oh yes. Mining tragedy for musical quality. Okay. All right. All right. I don't don't, know. The death of Biggie was like five years ago. Okay. Okay. But (laughs) stay right there. Uh, We'll close out with tears in heaven. But don't move, people. 2002 is going to get silly too. Why did I say that? It's the new year, but we're still talking about balls. 
And if you want your balls to shine like the one in Times Square, our sponsors at Manscaped have dropped in to help you resolve to be the sexiest, most confident version of yourself you can be. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com and use the code LASERTIME for 20% off plus free shipping. Since it's the new year, why not go nuts Haha! <laughs> with a new grooming routine with the leaders in below-the-waist grooming. This year, take your package to the next level with their Performance Package 4.0 and brand new Ultra Premium Body Wash. Inside the Performance Package 4.0, you'll find the signature Lawnmower 4.0. This electric trimmer is designed to trim hair on loose skin, while the advanced skin-safe technology reduces cuts and nicks on your delicate nuts. It also comes equipped with a 4000K LED spotlight to ensure 2022 is looking bright. Of course, any new grooming routine isn't complete without applying Crop Preserver Anti-Chafing Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Refreshing Spritz. These unique formulations take care of the smelliest part of your body to provide a big boost to your confidence in the new year. And while gift-giving season may be over, Manscaped isn't done! They've included two free gifts in the Performance Package 4.0 to complete the set, the Manscaped Shed Travel Bag and Anti-Chafing Boxer Briefs. Manscaped also has an all-new product to help wash away the stink of 2021. Their ultra-premium body wash is infused with aloe vera and sea salt to keep your skin feeling clean, fresh, and moisturized. Using a vegan dye-free formula scented with the signature Manscaped Refined Cologne scent. It's time to kick 2021 and poor hygiene to the curb and resolve to look, feel, and smell better. Go to manscaped.com and use the code LASERTIME to get 20% off plus free shipping. That's 20% off plus free shipping by using the code LASERTIME, one word, at manscaped.com. Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. Folks, it's the new year, which means New Year's resolutions. Some of you have probably even resolved to finally watch that hard-to-find movie or TV show and then discover to your dismay that it isn't available in your region. That's why NordVPN is here to help with an easy-to-use workaround. With just one click, you can access content from 59 different countries safely and securely so you can get the games, TV shows, and movies you're looking for. And if you manage to score a new game system or have some holiday gift cards burning a hole in your pocket, you can find discounts on games, movies, TV shows, and streaming subscriptions by taking advantage of international sales and pricing. Speaking of sales, right now NordVPN is offering a special deal for LaserTime listeners. Go to nordvpn.com slash LaserTime and use the code LaserTime to get up to 73% off your NordVPN plan plus a bonus gift. This offer won't last long, so go to nordvpn.com slash lasertime and use the code lasertime, one word, to get your bonus gift and up to 73% off. Get those New Year's resolutions going. Get NordVPN today. Where were you when the world stopped turning on that September day? Were you in the yard with your wife and children? Working on some stage in L.A. Did you stand there in shock At the sight of that black smoke Rising against that blue sky Did you Coming in to 2002, despite the wonderful 9-11 vibes given to us by Alan Jackson's Where Were You When the World Stopped Turning off of Drive this week. And four months. That's how long it took us to have a cheesy 9-11 ballad. It took yeah. us four months. And I swear, I only remember the South Park version of this. Yep. <laughs> Where were you when they built the ladder to heaven? <laughs> then 9-11, 9-11, 9-11, 9-11. <laughs> um, <laughs> 2002, y'all. 
Uh, January 14th to the 20th, Alan Jackson is out there making music, as is The No Twist with Neon Golden and The Great Divide by Willie Nelson, who I had a dream yesterday. He died and was like wonderfully happy to wake up and realize he was not. Willie Nelson. Shut your mouth. Not dead. You Got It Bad by Usher is uh, back to number one after four weeks, so there we have that. A little bit of news to remind you what's going on in 2002. Sierra Leone Civil War ends after 11 years, so right, right when the Salvatorian stuff... You know, calms down. Pretty much. So you get the Sierra yeah. Leone yeah. Civil War. This one, uh, 500,000 dead. Jesus and Christ! The oh. Netflix film uh, Beast of No Nation is this civil war with the serial numbers filed off. They don't say it, but it's clearly oh. this. And yeah. the lesson is don't buy blood diamonds and don't use child soldiers. Mm. Yep. And don't trust uh, Liberian President Chuck Taylor. Hold on. I'm writing all this down. Um, yeah, no one named after shoes should be trusted. <laughs> and I didn't know where to squeeze this in, but I thought it was newsworthy. This is the week they announce X Files is done, because at this point it's in its ninth season. They've gone, they've done a couple seasons, you know, Sans Duchovny, even though he's popping up a lot. But it's yeah. like we're just going to put a stop to this for now, and you know, eventually a movie and two more seasons. But I, I, like that was big news on the nerd front. X Files is no longer going to be with us at the end of the season, and I think gets a lot more people watching as a result of saying a conclusion was on the way. Movies of 2002, January 14th through the 20th. The shipping news with Kate Blanchett, Judy Dench, Julian Moore, and Karen Fraser. Uh, I saw this. This had, yeah, I mean, this had prestige all over it. It's based on a best-selling book. It's directed by Lassa Hallstrom, who's on a roll. He had just done Shock a lot, and what's eating Gilbert great before that. And it's just a big old bummer. Like Mm -hmm. I kind of don't care. It has one of the biggest humiliation congas in my entire (laughs) life because the film just starts off with Kevin Spacey being this loser, and then he finds a girl who obviously despises him, gets her pregnant marries her, starts cheating on him, and then leaves to sell his child before getting in an accident and dying. And then a stranger shows up and begins to steal his father's ashes. So I've never seen that many humiliations one after the other. Where's his Eric Clapton song, man? (laughs) 16 verses. It attempts to be magical realism, and magical realism is easy to do badly, and mm. this does it very badly. Mm. It was just a big pile of eh for me. Just eh. Same upon my reading of uh, State Property with Jay-Z, Emilio Sparks, Memphis Bleak, Damon Dash, and Beanie Siegel. I have not heard of this. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's got a cult following because it's got like so many rappers in it and stuff, but it's it's about you know a bunch of guys get together and they're going to form a gang and, you know make money and it's a turf war movie with no commentary this is purely how cool is it that we're gangsters and we're Uh gonna get super rich and you know i i'm i'm very glad they showed the strippers stripping in such detail because how was i supposed to know they were strippers unless you you know make love to them with a camera for me so thank you movie i I needed that I, I i do sort of miss the days when like rap posses would just make movies that's that's what i was about to say this is coming off of like <laughs> the huge success of what oh what's that master p movie not i got the hookup the first one i'm about it or mm-hmm. or not fresh off of but like snoop dogg's murder was the case a, a few years ago a majority of our physical music was bought in the same place where we'd buy some of our movies and mm-hmm. it was not uncommon for a lot of rappers to make their own movies and make 
quite a bit of fucking money kind of self-financing these movies. And this is produced by Jay-Z's label and produced by Damon Dash. The people in it are making it. And why not give it a shot? It's worked before. Yeah. It's it's a also a rock aware commercial because everyone's yeah. wearing that. Uh-huh. Like <laughs> you, you don't see a single thing that's not in rock aware. Seagull's characters only trade his ambition. We don't see him do a single good thing until he faces jail, at which point he says he has a family. But you know, in, in like breaking bad, we realized that the protagonist was lying about his family. It was all about him. And this movie does not have an ounce of self-awareness about that. <laughs> um, and it's not fair, but I can't help thinking this movie came out the same year as The Wire. Mm. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nice juxtaposition. Terrible juxtaposition. Our next film. Oh uh, my god. <laughs> oh. Um, oh god. I'm gonna I'm gonna start with the best of the cast: Brian Doyle Murray, M. Emmett Walsh, and Michael Bolton. Who would you yeah. like to have dinner with in heaven? Boom! Right oh. there. Christopher Judge, Joanna Belasco, uh, Graham Greene, Michelle Nichols, Cisco, James Coburn, and on his fuck your Oscar tour, Cuba Gooding Jr. <laughs> uh, snow Snow Dogs, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Meet the world's greatest sled dog team. Diesel, Scooper, Yodel, Snare, Nana, and Demon. As they meet their new owner. Okay, just like a jet ski with fur. On January 18th, get ready for Mush Hour. Then you really <laughs> stepped in it this time. Disney Snow Dogs. Rated PG. Please let it be noted. All of us laughed out loud to Mush Hour. Um, <laughs> all of us. <laughs> all uncontrollably. Mush Hour. Good Lord. Uh, more talking dogs. Ten years after Tequila and Benetti. No, no, none fun. of these dogs talk. They're real what? dogs. They bark. It's... None of them talk. Why um, is one of them credited to Jim Belushi? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I swear they don't talk in this film. That must have been the cut sex scene. It gets lonely out there. <laughs> okay. Fair. Uh, they did use CGI on the dog's facial expressions to make them more human in a super creepy manner. Ew. Uh, and I looked it up. The oldest husky to ever live lived to 18 years old. So Aww. all dogs. Yeah. <laughs> Fill in the rest. Yeah, yeah, this this movie is not a good movie. Uh, no. Starts off, we never see him unhappy where he is. He has mm. no problems that he needs to overcome by going to Alaska. He just goes there, and he's very lacking in any agency. He just kind of lets himself be carried along on this wacky adventure. He ends up living in Alaska for no real reason other than the movie wants it to. But you see a lot of uh, goofy dogs doing goofy dog stuff. Right. So he he inherits the sled dog team. Yeah. And and wackiness ensues. There's a lot of falling down and and dog reaction shots. So he doesn't get too hurt. Yeah. I I feel like it should be boat trip, but I feel like this is the one that people always point to. Uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. Yeah, so glad we gave him that Oscar. Look at what he did with it. Uh, in a dream sequence, the dogs talk. But oh, it's a dream sequence. It's not okay. reality. Oh, they kangaroo jacked it. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Oh, fuck. Yeah, we got more Cuba Gooding Jr., unfortunately, this week. because <laughs> And remember, credible accusations of sexual assault. Uh, James Coburn, why? Why are you here, James Coburn? Michelle Nichols, I know you're kind of bored, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> Oscar nominee Graham Greene, god damn it. Anyway, 
Can we move on to two great movies with the biggest fucking cast you ever goddamn saw? Yeah. 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 Holy, Possibly holy. my favorite movie of 2001 we're talking about right here in 2002. Whoa, really? Shots yeah. fired. Shots fired. It's one where it's like, uh, first time I watch it, I'm like, oh, that was pretty good. Wow. And then watch it again because it's a murder mystery. And watching a murder mystery the second time is extra fun because you can see the clues. And I was like, oh, wow. That was actually a lot deeper than I realized. And then I watched the third time and I was like, holy shit, that movie covers some ground. This movie is about so many things and it does it so well. But mostly it's just a fun murder mystery. Hell yeah. Um, look at this cast. Emily Watson. Look at this. Christian Scott Tom, Kristen Scott Thomas, Maggie Smith, Ryan Phillippe, Clive Owen, Jeremy Northam, Helen Mirren, Kelly McDonald, Derek Jacoby, Richard E. Grant, Michael Gambon, Stephen Fry, Charles Dance, Alan Bates, Bob Balaban, Eileen Atkins, Gosford Park. Mr. Weissman, yep. tell us about the film you're going to make. It's a detective story. Uh, murder in the middle of the night, a lot of guests for the weekend, everyone's a suspect. And who turns out to have done it? Oh, I, I couldn't tell you that. It, it would spoil it for you. It would none of us see it. <laughs> Why would anyone want to kill him? Well, it wasn't exactly Father Christmas. <laughs> I think he's got something to hide, that one. Do you think he's a murderer? It's worse than that. He's an actor. It's about that low bullet that nearly killed him that morning they were out. So, we haven't dusted those things for fingerprints yet. Hmm? Good. How, how old is Maggie Smith? This is like the third decade <laughs> yeah. where we've seen her as an old woman. Yeah, she's always been old. Even when she was young, she she just had that about her. So uh, Gosford Park, directed by Robert Altman, written by Julian Fellows. It is it's it's Downton Abbey, dude. It's it's the setup for Downton Abbey. Obviously, mm. executives saw this and was like, could you make that a TV show? But maybe with less murder and like more likable upper class characters. Yeah, I'd, I'd never heard of this movie Ooh. before watching it, but I was a huge Downton Abbey fan. And you call it a murder mystery, but I didn't know that going in. And it doesn't mm. happen until the one hour mark. Yep. So I was generally surprised that that was going down when that happened. It was like, okay, I guess it's tough, you know. <laughs> Uh, definitely going for the Agatha Christie murder vibe, uh, big mansion, lots of suspects. We learn who did it, why they did it. Uh, but what I really got from this film is the sense of one of these grand old mansions. It's set mm -hmm. in 1932, possibly the worst year of the Great Depression, and none of the characters give a F. Mm -hmm. they, they are not in that world. They are so rich. It is not on their purview at all. I mean, maybe they have to take slightly fewer hunting trips than the previous <laughs> year, but probably not. Yeah, but probably just because um, the trains aren't running. Ugh. Yeah. Mm. Oh, there's a poor near my car. Ooh, spot <laughs> it away. Ugh. I, I did love that the inspector is a complete idiot. Just, oh, yeah. uh, I, I, at first, because I've never heard of this, never saw it, I thought, oh, he's doing the Columbo thing. He mm -hmm. is pretending to be dumb, but no. The, the inspector solving the murder mystery is a complete idiot and never solves yeah. anything. Yeah, and I, I would watch a whole series of idiot inspector Stephen Fry. He's <laughs> so good at it. He's he's so funny as someone who, he thinks he's pretty clever. Like, he thinks he's pretty good at his job. And he is so dumb and yeah. so easily persuaded. And then he just sort of leaves. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm the one wiki browsing this now. This is written by the same guy who created Downton Abbey, and this was Downton right. Abbey was supposed to be a spinoff of this. It 
literally oh. was. Uh, okay, I can see yeah. that. Until they changed totally some details. See that. But watching it, there was not a single line spoken by Maggie Smith that couldn't have been completely a line spoken by her character in uh, Downton Abbey. They, yeah. they, they are the same character. They They're are totally the same character. Same. She's the Countess of Trentham here instead yes. of the Dowager Countess of Grantham. I mean, yeah. That's it. That's the only difference. It's it's pretty freaking clear. But yeah, I, I just... When I heard, oh, Robert Altman's making this like Agatha Christie kind of thing, I was like, okay, well, he's known for like everyone talking over each other. So you're going to have mm -hmm. these big scenes of people. And I, I wasn't sure if it was just too British for him. And he freaking nails it because there are so many characters. And I think it was Richard E. Grant was saying this, like he had multiple cameras going all the time. And so everyone just had to be in character doing character stuff because they never knew when the camera was on them. Wow. So everyone is just fully committed, no matter what is happening. And you really do feel like you're just smacked into this world of this, like, you know, ridiculous mansion, massive staff, all these guests coming for, you know, a hunting party. You know, Michael Gambon is the host and everybody hates him <laughs> because <laughs> he's a terrible person who made his money through terrible means. They all look down on him, even though he's the one they want all his money. Because he's not an upper class person. He's someone who made his money through his lifetime. Oh, and the worst. Money. Yeah, he's the worst. And like, it's one of those things that's like themes that pop out. Like the first time around, obviously, the big separation between classes is huge. And then watching it again, it was like the big separation between the genders became a big mm -hmm. thing. Realized like one through line through the whole movie is like what really who who has sexual empowerment and who doesn't and mm. how some of the women they can fuck around and no one cares. And some of the women, they fuck around, it immediately ruins everything. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that most of them, like, like the people, the servants don't really have control over their own bodies. Mm -hmm. And a lot of, even the upper class women don't either. So, so above and below the stairs, shitty time to be a lady. Except for the richest yeah. one. The richest one The richest does. one does, but, but there's she's... also a story of two sets of sisters going on mm -hmm. where... The upper class sisters, basically, one of us has to bite the bullet and marry this rich guy we don't like. And then meanwhile, this other set of sisters have both been abused by the same man and went different ways with their lives in that way and then still sort of end up in the same place. And I yeah. definitely don't want to spoil which ones I'm talking about yeah. or who done it because yeah, I, I went it is in such blind a and good payoff. Yeah. It is yeah. such a good payoff where it's suddenly like, oh, ho, 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 that's what's been happening this whole movie. This is really about that. I thought it was about these 18 other things. <laughs> yeah. Now, if you like Downton Abbey or Agatha Christie types up, I mean, oh my God, yes. And everyone is so good. Yeah. I love Bob Balaban. He produced this too. We wouldn't have this without little Bob Balaban. I love Bob Balaban. He's so great. Uh, this but is yeah, definitely every, my... Every actor is on fire here. Besides Maggie Smith, Kelly McDonald is great. Emily Watson is great. Michael Gambon is wonderfully hateful. Yeah. Yeah, it, it turns out this to be a Robert Altman's second highest grossing movie after MASH. I did not know mm. it was that Whoa. big. I, wow. I remember the reviews wow. were, were through the goddamn roof. But uh, yeah. And, you know, Altman isn't making like $300 million films here. So true. No. This yeah, is my recommend it, for the show. Mm. This is if you're going to watch anything that you haven't seen uh, in this episode, watch this because <laughs> I went in blind. It's amazing. It's great. There was also a very interesting similarity with W.E. where a secret mm. is revealed by someone using their betters first name instead of the uh, title. Oh, you're right. 
Oh, I forgot about that. You're going to recommend this over free, Jack. I just want to give you another out <laughs> in case. Yeah. <laughs> it's and just tough. Think, it's tough. Yeah. I feel like if you're worried that there's going to be super stuffy and like a, it's all going to be about manners and, oh, she used the wrong folk. Oh, no. It's like, <laughs> nah, it feels very relatable and modern, even though these people are like in this ridiculous situation. Like so much of the time you're thinking about like, I wouldn't know how to behave in this situation either. Jesus Christ, you guys are so uptight all the time. What are you doing? Why are you like this? It only hurts you. They are definitely a lot more mean than the characters in Downton Abbey. There is a huge (laughs) effort to uh, humanize the characters in Downton Abbey compared to this movie. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think on both, you know, the below stairs people are a bit chiller. And, and and in this, the upper the upstairs people are, yeah, there's like one who's okay. <laughs> it's like, he seems nice enough, I guess. Yeah, Gosford Park. It sounds stuffy. It's not. It's a lot of fun. The next film, which has never done it for me. I feel, ugh. Orlando Bloom, Eric Bonnet, Tom Hardy, Jason Isaacs. Uh, is that Ian Grifford? Grifford? Uh, Griffith. Hugh, yeah. Hugh Dancy, uh, Ewan Bremer. Tom Sizemore, Ewan McGregor, both Ewans, and Josh Hartnett. It is Black Hawk Down. We got a bird down in the city. Get him out of there. Whole city be coming down on top. It's what you do right now that makes a difference. My men are surrounded by thousands of Somali militia. I need help now. Time Magazine calls Black Hawk Down an unforgettable film. Where do you think you're going? You guys, not that cast on your nut. Rolling Stone hails it as one of the best movies of the year. Don't let that man crawl! Nobody asks to be here. She sometimes turns out that way. Black Hawk Down. This was a, a quieter hit in my neck of the woods. Hmm. Where this sort of like swept DVD collections, not so much got people out to theaters. Mm. I, was that not the case with in your neck of the woods? Uh, my neck of the woods, I remember I saw this in theaters and this is the only movie I can recall that made me club deaf. What? You know what that is when like if you go to a club and the music's really loud and you come yes. out and your hearing is muffled. Okay. I came out of this muffled ass hearing because it is just nonstop explosions. Yeah. Which it- I like though. But I have so many problems with this, but overall, I think it's freaking great. It's heavily influenced by the Saving Private Ryan battle aesthetics, uh, where everything is very loud. But in Saving Private Ryan, I could follow the action far, far more than I could ever follow the action in this film. And that's one Mm. reason I can't really recommend it. The film is far too chaotic. You can't follow what is happening. I'm always going, what? Wait, what? Okay, I guess. I. Oh, yeah. All right. That's yeah, me no, it, watching the action. Yeah, it, it gets, it really goes for the chaos of combat. Yeah. And that, that's the whole, I mean, the movie's pretty much just one long action scene that is just unendingly chaotic. And you never know when, like, the second there's a tiny bit of a breather, someone yells RPG and it all starts up again, you know? So it was based on the 1993 Battle of Mogadishu where. Yeah, uh, American peacekeepers um, got trapped and had to shoot their way out. And we lost 19 guys. And we took about 700 Somalis with us, which we don't really mention in this movie. There are no Somali actors in this movie. None. We never really see the bad guys or why they're fighting. We're just told, oh, those those black people are bad. So there's my number one problem yeah, I think, is uh... they're just villainized. As foreigners. I, I, I don't know. This is not me tooting my own horn, but I was like very conscious at this point about watching 
pro-military movies and as, oh, as we're gearing yeah. up yeah. for war. And I just sort of like, I am uncomfortable with all of this. And, yeah, and well, that's, that's what's fascinating is this was made before right. 9-11, before we went into Afghanistan. Right. We're in Afghanistan at this point as a country, and people embrace this as being sort of, you know, patriotic, even though it's about us losing. Mm-hmm. We, we lose. We just full yeah. on lose. But, you know, it's about the brotherhood of soldiers and never leaving a man behind and the sacrifice. And so that became sort of a rah-rah thing of like, like, this is what our boys are dealing with in Afghanistan right now. And it's like, <sighs> or not. That's so how the, I remembered feeling. The book this was based on took the perspective that Delta Force did not behave as an elite unit, that mm-hmm. uh, Delta Force made a number of bad mistakes. And this movie does not take that position at all. There's mm-hmm. a number of things that are, are changed. Grimes is based on a real-life person who was then put in jail for sexual assault. Oh, but wonderful. they changed his name in the movie even though it's clearly that guy. I think this film ties into the saying there's no such thing as an anti-war film, Mm. that by projecting these guys fighting alongside their friends, because there is a lot of camaraderie there, that it's inherently not anti-war because you see them in that light. And mm-hmm. I think that's the the same with not really showing the Somalian side of the battle, which was, you know, a slaughter. It's, mm-hmm. it's very much uh, a loss for them because they lost so many people, but in the end they won. In, in some ways, I think you can compare this movie to Zulu, uh, the film from the Ooh. 1960s. Uh, yeah. Because it's about a uh, technologically advanced force greatly outnumbered by their opponents and how in the end that battle comes uh, to be almost an even match because numbers versus technology. But they don't have Michael Caine in this no. this version so mm-hmm. everyone loses <laughs> they just have like every actor ever like rewatching big chunks of it there's constantly like is that jamie lannister <laughs> oh, there's a lot of that this? oh wait was that tom hardy wait come back go back was that tom hardy <laughs> yeah there's so many people in this um yeah it's tough it's like i like it from from a filmmaking standpoint i'm very impressed with it and it's ridley scott just going more actiony than that man has ever gone even gladiator like he just yeah like you said it's like the beginning of saving private ryan just the whole damn movie if you take it as any sort of history or sociology or any like no no do not take it as real or fact or anything but if you pretend this is all fake then it's better if you pretend it's know. all fake i don't think i would ever watch this if this was in the island nation of gora gora <laughs> i i wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't watch this. The outskirts of Wakanda. Yeah, 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 yeah. I wouldn't watch this. It would just be like, no, this is no value unless it's real uh, to tell the story of mm-hmm. history. Mm. Yeah. You see, I take it more as this is an experience. Like, this is an ex- like experiencing combat mm. depicted in film as opposed to this is what Mogadishu was really like. Okay. I, if I take it that. that way. I I find it pretty impressive. But... Like I said, how the movie is just one long series of screaming and explosions. It took me forever to find an ad that <laughs> hit the actual feeling of the movie. I put uh, an example in here of what most of the ads are like, and it <sighs> I, I want to throw up in someone's face. <laughs> Time, Rolling Stone, Roger Ebert, all named Black Hawk Down, one of the best movies of the year. Space <laughs> Well, I'll be hiding, waiting for 
Why? Why? <laughs> Why? They all have the space between playing in them. <laughs> all of them. The space, but was that a popular song at the time? This is, is maybe where we need Sarah track? to explain why Dave Matthews Band doesn't suck and A, why this song is promoting this movie. Is... I, no. <laughs> I'm going to have to text her. <laughs> why? So Just dumb. why? And I, I, I remember being bored by the excessive explosions or the yeah, idea that like... This... I felt that. I felt that. And I, 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 I've sat through this thing in its entirety in one sitting twice and, and just sort of, I don't know, it, the first time was around 20 years ago, and I was just being careful not to have my government influence my movies into the point of me championing a new war. Then the next time was like it became elevated to a modern classic. About a year later, like there's not a fucking straight white dude who doesn't have this movie in their DVD collection. And I was kind of baffled by that because, you know, I usually yeah. have similar taste. But yeah, I've never felt it was for me and I didn't get a chance to go back and watch it this time. Hey, die! it did win Oscar for Best Sound. <laughs> made her club deaf. You've earned it. Yep, made me club deaf. Is that did is there another term for that that I, people know because that's I don't I know just, because it was club deaf. one of my favorite movies of 2021 that we'll be talking about on Laser Time did the same thing to me and the sound I think was a huge part of that so I get it um I have not yet seen one of my favorite movies of 2021 without the th- sound theatrical experience and I don't know if it'll be the same hmm. and maybe maybe that was part of it cuz uh maybe I should watch it now oh, by dad speakers oh boy <laughs> yep so, his Eric so, Clapton if, calibrated speakers. Yeah, and if you've never experienced club deafness, just walk around with your hands cupped over your ears mm-hmm. for a while and just be like, "You guys want to go get some pancakes after we saw that band?" What? Listen, <laughs> listen to your favorite song, "Underwater." Yep. And, <laughs> and uh, but yeah, Black Hawk Down goes on to be number one this week, and yeah, I, I remember just this year felt like it was ushering in like. January is not the spot for bad things anymore. The, the things have changed, mm-hmm. and uh, we're getting better. We're getting better. Yeah, I mean, because I was I was from a much smaller town than you were at, at this point, Diana. So like, we That's weren't. That's true. We weren't we're getting going with wide release dates. I mean, no, no, I know, this is another I know. one that technically came out on Christmas. It like two theaters in L.A. and New York qualify for Oscars. <laughs> well, uh, we're ready to move into the TV then. TV right. 2002 January 14th through the 20th uh, Combat Missions premieres. I don't remember this at all. January 16th on the USA Network, a reality show where military and police uh, operatives compete against each other in physical challenges and mission scenarios. So like real, real world road rules <laughs> challenge, but with uh, military and police. But Perfect. The problem is they don't want to create any trashy reality TV drama. They want no. to show all these cops and soldiers as you know really good people everyone's getting along and if you have a reality tv show where everyone is getting along it's gonna suck yeah <laughs> i've never even heard of this no nah, um what's the clip either. do we have a clip of it uh yeah i just thought one of their challenges was kind of wimpy and they said we're gonna do a three mile run i'm thinking <laughs> Oh my gosh, three miles. I haven't run three miles since 1984. I mean, I'm a handgun specialist. That's what I do. And uh, I'm going, this is going to absolutely kill me. I, I, I don't, the heck? I, don't. I am not in great shape. I run five miles for fun, and my job is not physical. I mean, <laughs> if your job is, is very physical, like a policeman or a soldier, running three miles should not be an oh-my-God moment. That should be, you know, your warm-up. 
I hiked like 25 miles last week, some running. I Yeah, I think if I was if I was winning a contest, I could probably get out there and jog three miles. Maybe. Look, I can't run three miles. I've never been able to run three miles. But if I were on a show called Combat Missions, <laughs> I probably would have gotten up to a point before I get on the show. You know, it's kind of like going on Drag Race and not knowing how to do a celebrity impression or so. Like, you know it's coming. So learn to run about 5K and then you can kill everything. But yeah, even, even TV is getting in the uh, Combat Missions. Let's let's start uh-huh. heroifying um, mm-hmm. all the people from 9-11. Also, uh, wow, Dragonfly TV premieres? Is that a show or a channel on TV- it's, oh, it's, PBS? It's a show on PBS. This is Mythbusters for Kids. That's, oh. that's it. It's Mythbusters for awesome. Kids. They do science experiments and engineering builds. It's a great show for kids who are into science. I, I think it's, it's very Will a Red Rider BB gun really shoot your eye out? We put it to the test. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's true. <laughs> okay, uh, okay. Then moving on. This is a weird one. On Angel, a, sh- a show I have never been able to get into, despite it being kind of the thing I've watched the least in the Whedon verse. And yeah, Joss Whedon's important to mention here because it's called Birthday, and it's the episode where Cordelia has an "It's a Wonderful Life" episode where she sees what would have happened if she had become a famous actress instead of fighting demons. Meaning somebody on the writing staff was supposed to examine how important Cordelia was to the show, yet, as we're hearing, <laughs> yeah, what the fuck? That, that would have like, been an important lesson to learn, because we're, we're getting close to the point where the badness goes down. Mm-hmm. In this episode, Cordelia is shown to be a crucial part of this organization, that the show really couldn't exist without her. And they throw all that out the window. But in her It's a Wonderful Life, she's a cheesy little sitcom star. And personally, I just love fake cheesy sitcoms. <laughs> they, they bring a <laughs> smile to my face. I was just going to say this. Uh, it's how uh, Cardi B fans refer to her. There's a feeling that I'm after. Ooh, I see it in your smile. Maybe we'll be hanging from the rafters. Ooh, baby, stay a Cordy! <laughs> Cordy, we got Cordy. Yeah. So Angel was always a story about being a grown-up, mm-hmm. while Buffy was the story about growing up. Mm-hmm. And this episode does show how the decisions we make can affect not just us, but other people. Are we happy with where we are in life? And no surprise, at the end, Cordelia does discover she is happy where she is in life. And it's a nice little message and a fun little episode of Angel that I I do recommend. Daddy, every time a bell rings, Angel gets his wings. What? (laughs) (laughs) I shouldn't even mention this, but I just really wanted to find... This is 2002, and Mm -hmm. 302010 has left the 80s some time ago. And this is one of the most 80s TV show ideas I can think of. An older celebrity is turning a certain age, but is so famous, let's pretend to throw a birthday party for them four months before their birthday and have all these famous people show up. (gasps) We have one of these in 2012 too, don't we? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's just like, but like back... Back but that's, the, I think, is the last one we will ever see. Yeah, back in the day, this happened all the time. And oh, like, my it, God. And even uh, seeing, like, this happened. Bob to, Hope's salute to Sammy Davis Jr. Yeah, yeah. Pet yeah. Uh, but this is Muhammad Ali. I mean, you don't get much more famous than that. His 60th birthday celebration. Only 60. You'll see why I'm including it when you see who's on the show. The Muhammad Ali's 60th birthday celebration. Starring Will Smith, Sidney Poitier, Sylvester Stallone, Jamie Foxx. John Travolta, Larry King, John Boyd, 
Angela Bassett, Cuba Gooding Jr., Sugar Ray Leonard, and Samuel L. Jackson. So we got, yeah, we got oh, Portier. Most there. of them are still there. Yeah, yeah. And there's. There's Poitier. Oh. Yeah, Poitier. R.I.P. Mm. Uh, God damn it. Wonderful trailblazing legend. I, I was going to squeeze him in the previous segment because uh, the TV show In the Heat of the Night was number 25 uh, last week, but Aww. he wasn't in that show. No. He, he wasn't, wasn't in, in that, that show. show. Can we, we do need to get Harry Belafonte into some sort of cryotube. I can't lose him, too. How is he still alive? The last time I heard his voice. Oh, my goodness. Sidney Poitier, we lost him. Was it last last week? This, this last week, yeah. yeah. This last yeah, week. A lot of deaths this week. Mm-hmm. It was this is a bad week. Classic Corner is going to be about an hour. Mm-hmm. As you guys know. Oh, boy. It was a rough week. Yeah, I got I to gotta talk about, you know, Dobie <laughs> Gillis for at least 20 minutes. What? So. We lost, yeah, we lost Dwayne Hickman, too. He got overshadowed oh, by everybody. I didn't hear that. Yeah. I love Dobie Gillis. I know. Right. Yes. Me too. Okay. Yeah, Michael and I were just talking about, like, we both, like, know the theme song. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, know all the characters. Why? Because like, Nick at Night. That's yeah, I, I, caught, I caught the movie as, like, a really little kid with no cable and sometime later found out there was a sh- Anyway, <laughs> this is 30, 20, 10, not, like, 70, 60, 50. Come on, Warren Beatty would sometimes be on when he was, I know, like, 20. I know. Oh, my God. I love, cre- oh I love my, my Krebs. All uh, right, Sorry. First oh. Monday also premieres on January 15th on CBS, a show about the Supreme Court. Oh, how different that would look today. Yeah, oh it, it stars Joe Montanga. Yes! I I could not help picturing Fat Tony. What do you mean, gerrymandering? Justice the entire time. Oh, and if you want to watch this show, you can have 15 minutes of a random episode at a random time on YouTube and nothing else. You cannot watch this show in any way, <laughs> shape, or form. I don't know if it is in danger of ruining the space-time continuum, but it is scrubbed from everywhere. Oh, no. I, you're right, Chris. Now I'm just I'm thinking of his fat Tony voice. Yes. And let's have, is this brief amicus? <laughs> What's a woman? What's a choice? What's a... <laughs> oh, we laugh now. But I can't wait to this organize a party. This is, shall we say, diseases. <laughs> <laughs> I love Latin terms. Mm. <laughs> and then, and then also on uh, this week, we have the last episode of The Outer Limits, a show I never ever got to see. Was that the Showtime reboot? It was the Showtime reboot. It uh, ran for about a long time, three times longer than the original. Yeah, yeah. The original did not run. It was like two. Seasons it was like three seasons or, three? or something like that. But they're an yeah. hour. I never saw the original version, but this was one of those things that I catch, and every time I caught it, I'd be blown away because 14 years old is the golden age of science fiction. Yeah. If you are 14 and you're watching a sci-fi show, it is going to blow your mind. Especially the, that, the rare anthology show that's on a network with no restrictions. Yeah, and, yeah. Ooh. It was. Uh, I remember thinking it was just this utterly big-budget show. Mm. And probably for, you know, 1990 or whenever it was uh, watching it in 2022 is a different experience it definitely has some cheapness to yeah it. but there's some solid solid episodes in this series i would recommend our listeners do what i call a speed watch look up the top 10 or if you were, you're ambitious top 20 episodes of this watch those call it done that's mm-hmm. it you've, you've seen all you need to see of this and you're going to get a the best experience the the zanti yeah. the zanti misfits 
Or is that the original? I, I'm talking on my ass. But I believe uh, that is a classic I, episode of The Outer Limits. I feel like it's appropriate that The Outer Limits is calling it quits right when X-Files says they're calling it quits. Yeah. yeah. But those, it, every, those go together. The Twilight Zone often overshadows The Outer Limits. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But the big difference is that The Outer Limits, there always had to be a science explanation for things. Mm. The mm-hmm. Twilight Zone went for fantasy. The Outer Limits was science only. Yeah. Mm. Um, and then lastly, we I have the Golden Globes, almost turning 60 <sighs> like Muhammad Ali. A Beautiful Mind wins Best Drama because the Golden yeah. Globes sucks and shouldn't be on. Well, Roland Rouge know, wins honestly, Best. Honestly, this competition's pretty good Yeah, for, for the Golden Globes, which tends to go for more popular fare with mm-hmm. like one arty thing. Beautiful Mind wins, which is no big surprise, but it's up against In the Bedroom, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, Man Who Wasn't There, and Mulholland Drive. Ew. Yeah. Bitch, those other four. <laughs> Every other one of those would have been fine. I'm Agreed. feeling you. Uh, and, and at least a musical wins best musical or comedy. Moulin Rouge oh, takes okay. mu- I, the, I guess that's the one musical this year. Exists. Six Feet Under wins best drama series. No argument there. I believe I read this week that got renewed for a lot of money for two more seasons because mm. that was coming close to ending. Uh, Six Feet Under or uh, Sex in the City wins best musical or comedy series. And at last, Band of Brothers wins best miniseries or television movie. Like, what? Well, oh, my uh, God. Who are the poor assholes yeah. who made a miniseries that year? Oh, no. You know what? I'll give them some credit, too, here. Best foreign language film. They went with No Man's Land from Bosnia, mm-hmm. which is very tense and very downery, but beating Amelie and Itumama Tambien and Monsoon uh, Wedding, which are all much more crowd pleasery. Oh, I don't know. We haven't talked about Monsoon Wedding yet, unfortunately. I think we, we got it coming up. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, I'm disgusted. Video games of 2002. We have Dark Arena. <laughs> it's, is it really the first FPS on the Game Boy Advance? Yep, oh, that's it. that's its only claim to fame. It's a Doom clone with no music, and I can't imagine playing a Doom clone <laughs> with no music on your Game Boy Advance in this current year. It's only that in a Salt Lake City Olympics game, so not a great great week for video <laughs> games, but if you have a Game Boy Advance, your cup runneth over! Oh, wow. <laughs> Gosh, have we missed the Salt Lake City Olympics? Or are they coming up? They're probably coming up. I guess they're coming up. up. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because they were, yeah, 2002. That's after they started doing them opposite Is every that two when years. they started? I think that was the last Olympics to turn a profit. <laughs> I think so. Good what? job, Mitt Romney. He was kind of in charge of that. What? The, um, yeah. Yeah, he uh, we'll, we'll talk about it when we get to the opening ceremonies, which were hosted by animatronic dinosaurs voiced by Donnie and Marie <laughs> in the most Utah thing that ever happened. <laughs> All right. I love opening ceremonies so much. God, Mm. they're stupid. But that about wraps up 2002, (laughs) uh, the week of January 14th through the 20th. Um, We're going to close out with uh, what is this? Mendocino Mendocino County Line with Willie Nelson featuring Leanne Womack. Yeah, we we opened with some country music that was, you know, not stupid. Yeah, it was pretty stupid. So <laughs> let's let's always go back to Willie. Again, put him in a cryo tube. I, I can't lose him. Mm. I love him so. I don't have the heart to tell her what happened during this podcast. Shut up. Right. No, no. You don't understand. Last week was pretty much every day my husband walking into the room while I'm working on something. So, yeah. you know, did you hear? Peter Bogdanovich. Oh, I'm like, Duh. Yeah. Remember it wait. always starts with, oh, did you hear? Mm. And I'm like, oh, whatever. Yeah, it's been a it's been a hard week for classic film nerds, man. Yeah, sorry, D. I've made it a point. I only I only message your husband, tell him not to tell you until you're at a good point in the day. 
Um, yes, hide those deaths from me. Thanks don't a tell lot. her about Peter Bogdanovich. She doesn't want to hear that in the middle of the day. Would um, you preferred hearing them all in like one day, though? Yeah, it was like, good. If you just it would had soften a blackout and then you find they all died yeah. at no. one time. No, I like having a little bit of time to process each one, and especially with Bob Saget. I finally realized it after Betty White died. The same thing happened with Norm MacDonald. The day after someone dies that was funny, mm-hmm. Twitter becomes fantastic because it's all clips. Aww. So I really liked, I love that with Betty White. I love that with Norm MacDonald. And the Bob Saget clips and stories were just wonderful. So yeah, I like having the time to process and enjoy them. Yeah. She was that. a mensch. I saw that word a lot. Well, Willie, I, I can't trick you. Still with us, and hopefully, it's by the time we post this and uh, fix the website. But uh, but stay right there, people. We got one more segment to do, and it's a big one. So don't move. The stars on the Fourth of July, wishing we were rockets bursting into the sky, talking about redemption and leaving things behind. As the sun sank west of the Mendocino County line. internet and all the ships at sea it's time for diana's classic corner we go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching and for the week of january 14th through 20th i didn't have a lot planned so i guess it's best time to just start talking about the fucking legends that we lost last week obviously i gotta start talking about sydney poitier um i so many movies i want to recommend let's start with how about silver streak which he directed has some kind of dated racial humor in it but still it's still just a lot of fun. A couple movies that he pushed through just kind of by force of will that were pretty good. Buck and the Preacher, uh, which is a Western, and uh, Lilies of the Field, which is this like little independent movie where he like helps out a bunch of nuns and <laughs> basically got it made, made it for dirt cheap, got an Oscar out of it. And it's it's quite pleasant. It is very light and pleasant, but the heavier hitters I got to talk about, Raisin in the Sun, I think was already in Classic Corner freaking fantastic adaptation of Lorraine Hansberry play and yeah in the heat of the night just I swear to god the day after he passed away looking at Twitter I saw that gif of him slapping that white guy back about a thousand times because it is such a crucial moment in film history like I saw so many people talking about seeing in the heat of the night in the theater in 1967 and there's a scene where yeah he he's a cop and he talks back to this white guy and the white guy slaps him and he just immediately slaps him back so many people saying the story of everyone going, oh, my God. And then black audiences gasping and then cheering. It's like, yeah, that's what I do because it's a great woman. And it's just a really fun movie, too. Just a watchable ass movie. It's not just a racial drama. It's also it's a solid detective story. It's just got a really interesting setting and feel to it. And he's just so good in it. Man, if you haven't watched In the Heat of the Night, really do yourself a favor. And then... Also lost Peter Bogdanovich, who is like the second biggest film nerd in the history of mankind. Martin Scorsese's number one. And pretty much any interview with him is just gold because he's a big film nerd who was also kind of a star fucker. He, he went out of his way to meet everybody. And then he tells these great stories about him and he does the voices. And like Orson Welles lived in his house. <laughs> and every story about putting up with Orson Welles living in your house so so good like i would have orson welles live in my house like i'm kind of surprised there isn't like a movie about that because it's 
it sounds freaking bizarre. Like the bathtub's full of books and Orson Welles is putting lit cigars in his pocket and accidentally setting himself on fire and just, yeah, but he's a genius, so do what he wants. But Bogdanovich, I'm sure so many people probably just know him from The Sopranos, you know, because he's actually a pretty good actor. But as a filmmaker, uh, we just talked about the 50th anniversary of Last Picture Show for Classic Corner. Um, but I also, I got to put in What's Up, Doc, which is a great modern screwball comedy with Ryan O'Neill, Barbara Streisand, and Madeline Kahn stealing every scene. And Paper Moon, I think, might be the most Bogdanovich-y movie there is. It's a 30s story, again, with Ryan O'Neill and his daughter Tatum, and they're like grifters during the Depression. And it's it's so great. It feels like a movie from the 30s, but with like the naughtiness and swearing that you couldn't get away with back then. There's a bunch of other ones I do sort of want to recommend, like Cat's Meow. I feel like, did we talk about it? We might still have it coming up, actually, for 2002, which is uh, kind of a prequel to Mank and Citizen Kane in a weird way. So, I mean, those are all my recommendations. There's, it's, uh, it's hard to know where to start with these guys without sounding just like a basic bitch, but just start digging into them, man. In the Heat of the Night, absolutely. Yeah, I'm going to say Paper Moon is my, my top recommend for Bogdanovich. And, oh, man, put Stevie Wonder in the cryogenically sealed thing and put Angela Lansbury in with him because I can't, I can't lose more classic people like this, man. <sighs> yeah, so honor them by watching cool movies. And that's it for this week. Stay classic. Coming into 2012 with uh, the motivation by Attack Attack off This Means War. Welcome. That's it. We had too much country music. Let's go with some screaming. Yeah. <laughs> uh, January 14th to the 20th in 2012, just 10 short years ago. And if you're like me, this doesn't feel like a decade has passed whenever you say 2012. I don't know what it is about that year in particular. Just if I had to pinpoint it, I'm not going to elongate this. This was the year I left my first job. Other than, usually when I left a job, it was not my choice, or I was, <laughs> or I was going to school, or I was, uh, you know, I had to travel somewhere, or fuck this, I'm not, no call, no show, and it was like the only, one of the only adult decisions I'd made up until that point in 2012. And I, I feel like I haven't changed that much, but here I am trying to fit in my old pants again. Also, <laughs> out this week... Uh, Habits and Contradictions by Schoolboy Q and Reborn in Defiance by Biohazard, known as Resident Evil in Japan. Just kidding. That's a joke for two people. <laughs> uh, se uh, Sexy and I Know It by LMFAO is still number one. I do remember this. Sopa. Sopa. Um, <laughs> Sopa and Pippa mm -hmm. is not a delicious fried food. Mm-mm. They are uh, shitty laws. It's uh, nor is it a fictional holiday on the Venture Brothers. Uh, it is <laughs> internet, the internet blackout Spanish protest <laughs> against the Stop Online Piracy Act. More than uh, 100,000 websites, including English language Wikipedia, went black for the day. One million emails sent to Congress, and the law was shelved. And yep. it felt like uh, look, looking up the numbers, Wikipedia had one of their busiest days ever mm -hmm. on their front page because everyone heard about it and then went to check. And so, no, Wikipedia is just black. That's it. No, there's no Wikipedia today. It's um, and I, I, I really I, I was on podcasts at this point protesting this. My some of my bosses were like more livid than I've ever seen them about this this act, and I, I struggling to remember a ton about what was happening because it felt like well it's over we never have to think about that again and 
But then we lost net neutrality because we were lazy. Yeah, um, yeah no, the, the Stop Online Piracy Act was... Motion Picture Association of America was especially behind it, you know, mm-hmm. because they don't like their movies getting stolen. But it also was a flagrant violation of the First Amendment because it would allow the government to tell internet service providers, you can't let anyone see that website. That website doesn't exist as far as you're concerned. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, that sounds really dangerous to let the government tell you what you're allowed to see. And now I wish I could sit down some of those executives from 10 years ago. Like, what would you prefer? A few people stealing your movies or giving all your way a move, giving your movies all the way for $5 a month. <laughs> what, would you, what would you prefer? And that's how they caught up to everything. They stopped the stealing, but uh, kind of created a new beast for themselves and changed how much, how rich they'll be for the rest of their lives. 2012 movies. Who is oh, ready? Because there's okay. a lot to talk about. Oh, my God. There's a lot to talk about. Uh, let's, let's get through two of these really fast. They both have the word war in them. Uh, the Invisible War is a documentary about sexual assault in the military. It is possibly the most infuriating movie you will ever see in your fucking life. Mm. And uh, the good thing is that it is so infuriating uh, with so many people coming forward and talking that it actually got Congress to act, which is not something you see every day. Yeah, it's rare that a documentary has a clear result. And yeah. this documentary came out and it was very obvious we are changing this very stupid policy the policy was if you're accused of sexual assault we'll try it within the confines of the group of people that you're accusing of sexual assault perfect not yeah not not a good system at all and mm-hmm. this uh this created a new system where it immediately <laughs> bumps up uh, we will try a, you in front of a partial jury of your peers yeah it's like <laughs> no it's like oh we're going to accuse you of a crime and the jury is all of your best friends mm-hmm. like yeah yeah it's it's infuriating and i'm i'm bummed that my congresswoman is retiring jackie spear because she's been a super badass on this particular issue and she's in the movie yeah, I, I did like that the documentary did bring up male rape as well, mm-hmm. uh, because that's a subject that's often not talked about. But because of absolute numbers, the number of male rapes in the military is higher than the number of female rapes, just because it's such a male-dominated field. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Invisible War. Um, check it out. It's, uh, boy, it's going to piss you off. And uh, also this week, we have The Flowers of War which is a Zheng Yimou film starring Christian Bale, Nini, and Zhang Zimi. I think it was the most expensive Chinese film at the time. Mm. And it made freaking bank in Asia, except as much in Japan, because it's kind of about the rape of Nanking during World War II, Uh-oh. beginning of World War II. But it focuses in on these like schoolgirls that get hidden in a church, and Christian Bale is there, and he like pretends to be a priest to help them out. And it's, yeah, I would put it pretty low on my Zheng, Zheng Yimou list you know it's no like just because it's i can't call it chinese propaganda because like you can't even make up shit that didn't happen during the rape of nanking but obviously it's very pro-china and it was just kind of boring except for like the giant spectacle battle scenes and and people running amok like is amazing but it's kind of unnecessary because you're telling a very small story Mm. but he's a guy who does spectacle great you know we'll we'll talk about hero pretty soon and damn that's a masterpiece but yeah, yeah, Flowers of War is sort of, eh. 
you have a Chinese soldier who is very much this god among men, dies incredibly heroically, but in a way that does not impact the main storyline in the slightest. Like, mm -hmm. you could completely remove that, and the main storyline would be completely unaffected. But I do give it credit, uh, because the rape of Nanking is not something you see in film very much. No. Uh, the Japanese had what's known as the three-all policy. Kill all, burn all, loot all. Mm -hmm. And uh, they really put that into practice. Um, it's not given a lot of attention, but there's a great book called The Forgotten Ally. China was on our side in World War II, and next to Russia, no people died as much as the Chinese people. Yep. Um, uh, so it's, it's an interesting look at a piece of history that should be covered more, but it's not covered that well. It's, yeah. it's just not yeah. that great of a film. Sometimes you hear about it for the first time in a podcast you host. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, but in addition to the schoolgirls, it does cover brothels and courtesans, which is something that has a lot of fascination uh, when, when dealing with East Asia and mm. a lot of stories. Oh, yeah, well, the, what the Japanese did yes. with yes. women is... Yeah... Moving on. Let's talk All about right. another movie from the 30s that takes place in the 30s. Haywire? But, um, Antonio no. Oh, no. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no. I have a special intro for this. Richard Coyle, Oscar Isaac, Andrea Riseborough, James Darcy, Abby Cornish, and welcome to the W.E. <laughs> uh, um, sorry. I've been planning out the whole show. W.E.? <laughs> W.E. Directed and co-written by Madonna. What? Yeah. yeah. It's not technically her first feature film, but it's, I think it's her first one to get theatrical release. And it's it's about, Chris, your favorite topic ever, what? the abdication crisis with Wallace Simpson. <laughs> I, I knew I was going to have to explain this in movie Wait, terms. What? Why is Madonna okay. doing this? <laughs> well, you see, that's what I think is really interesting and why I wish I really liked this movie, because I think Madonna looks at Wallace Simpson and decides, like, we need a feminist reappraisal of her. Mm -hmm. Because, all right, backstory time. So, Chris, remember when we watched King's Speech last year? Yeah. And Colin Firth wasn't supposed to be king. It was supposed to be his older brother, Guy Pierce. But then Guy mm -hmm. Pierce bowed out because he wanted to marry some divorce chick. Mm -hmm. It's about him and the divorce chick. Okay. okay. Right. So, Edward VIII and Wallace Simpson. Edward VIII becomes king, but he is running around with this twice-divorced American lady named Wallace Simpson. And everyone's like, oh, monocles popped. Pearls are clutched. She can't <laughs> well, be our queen. At the start of the film, she's not even divorced, and the king no. is having sex with this married lady, and her husband is not at all happy with this. It's not like this is a poly relationship. He is upset, and he divorces his wife over her infidelity, and I, I couldn't really care for her very much. She, she hmm. seemed a pretty inherently selfish person person mm. and the modern day protagonist who it's cutting in between yeah. uh, goes around touching historical artifacts <laughs> at a museum display and i'm supposed to sympathize with that monster okay um, so yeah here's here's the problem now obviously i can see why madonna would be interested in wallace simpson because she's like a a, a rorschach test like you could see anything she could be a gold digging social climber or you could see her as, you know, someone who just fell in love and the society punished her for it. Or somewhere in between. You, you know, it could be fucking anything. But that is only part of the movie. There's also a modern part. They Julie and Julia it. But there's a modern segment that mirrors 
the old timey segment and the modern segment has yeah abby cornish in a shitty marriage that kind of mirrors wallace simpson's first abusive marriage and they spend so much time on it and she's like obsessed with wallace simpson and like goes to the sotheby's thing and starts touching everything with her bare fucking hands and and then like starts flirting with oscar isaac who's like a security guard who's not doing his job and i was so bored i couldn't stand it oh my god i yeah i I was gonna start fast forwarding and i was like no i'll give it a chance maybe this is going somewhere no but then all the old-timey you know 1930s stuff is fairly interesting and not surprisingly the costumes are immaculate they are like really historically accurate and like they went to museums and were allowed to see the real thing and it's like yeah the things in the movie are beautiful Mm-hmm. the movie itself was so boring i mean again that's that's my least favorite movie sin and is that the reason i've never heard of this before we started planning this episode like i've never heard of this yeah a, well, a movie written in probably never heard of it because it's not good yeah. and the search engine optimization on this sucks <laughs> I mean, w-e really mm-hmm Really, Madonna. Um, and it, but written but, a movie written and directed by Madonna in a movie she's yeah. not in. Co-written by the director of Madonna, Truth or Dare. Yeah. That we talked about last year. But <laughs> the, the historical king had mistresses in the past that were married. And no one cared as long as he kept them as his mistress. Mm-hmm. But he deeply wanted to marry Wallace which is what caused the crisis. And I really think that should have been more the thrust of the movie, that it was not about uh, sleeping around. No one really cares if the king mm-hmm. sleeps around. He can do whatever he wants. He's mm-hmm. the king. Marriage brings in issues of yeah. state, issues of the dynasty. Issues of religion. religion. He's head of the church. Yeah, yeah he, he he's head of the church. He can't religion. anoint someone with his cock, can he? <laughs> yeah. Well, and then... And they do like the tiniest little wave to, oh, he was kind of a Nazi sympathizer. Oh, oh, but not really. He was just trying to stop the war. And it's like, really, you think the guy who used to be a monarch might be sympathetic to fascists? Duh. What is a monarch? But a kind of fascism. Yeah. 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 I was. What I, I want to be- see is a movie where if the if there's going to be a modern thing, it should be about uh, Harry and Meghan. Because yeah. mm, be it's the same someday. thing. American divorcee. Oh no, she's she's black, so let's all lose our shit. Yeah. yeah. I think this film at the end of the day is also a little bit about how we use historical uh people as projections. Mm. So in my mind, I'm not sure if we're actually seeing the w- real Wallace or if this is the modern day protagonist projection of Wallace. Yeah. Uh, I was so disappointed. I was really, it, you know what? It turns out Madonna's a fine director. I, I didn't see any like places where she made a terrible decision and like it didn't make any sense or something. Eh, she's fine. Through her husband Just, uh, and all those groundbreaking music videos, how could she not have picked up some tricks of the trade at this point? Yeah. I think, yeah, I, think it's, I wish it was what she was doing now instead of trying to be a singer still. Yeah. I'm going to be a hot singer in my I, 70s. Like, yeah, make, you can still it. make stuff. Make something yeah. like this. Just yeah, go, go direct a movie. Less boring. Yeah, just not boring. Um, and then, all right, secretly awesome movie that I feel like another one no one's heard of. Mm-hmm. But again, with this week's theme of, oh, if only that person had shut their stupid mouth. Let's go cancel her anyway. Uh, oh, I Dude. see. Antonio Banderas, Bill Paxton, Michael Douglas, Ian McGregor, Michael Fassbender, Channing Tatum, a bunch of buff like dreamboats, and then Gina Carano in, in well, Haywire. Yeah, so you want to see a bunch of dreamboats punch Gina Carano in the face? 
What? Because they all do. <laughs> this is Beef Chisel Jaw, the movie. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Haywire. It is. Well, what should I call? It? I guess if Jason Bourne was directed by Steven Soderbergh, that's what? pretty much what it is. It's about a you know spy contractor lady who is double crossed and she has to go on the run. And she's played by Gina Carano, who her acting not great, but physicality for the fights mm-hmm. fucking outstanding. There was talk of her being Wonder Woman after this film, and I, oh, I could have seen that. I could see that. Yeah, yeah, it's. Like it's really stylish and jazzy, and because mm-hmm. it's Steven sure. Soderbergh, that's what he knew. And yeah, it's got this ridiculous cast. And do you want to see Fassbender and Ewan McGregor and Channing Tatum full on punch Gina Carano in the face over and over in these fight scenes? Which, which I had a bit of a problem with because she doesn't take damage. You know, <laughs> uh, she gets in a lot of fights in this movie, and this is something yeah. you can definitely see a trend in. Action movies with women are not willing to let the woman get damaged as much as action movies with men are willing to let the men get damaged. Huh, I mean, think point. of Bruce Willis at the end of Die hard just this bloody mess barely holding on i cannot think of a single female equivalent of that where they're just you know absolutely wrecked Hmm. yeah i was just surprised that the fight scenes are so brutal because Mm -hmm. yeah she's a girl but yeah obviously just she can hold her own she does amazing fight work in this and yeah yeah everybody's really good it zips along real fast it's only like 90 minutes it, it was a ton of fun. Um, yeah, the only problem is yeah, Gina Carano's acting is pretty wooden. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, she was getting better until she started mouthing off about how Biden stole the election and got canceled. I'm, 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 got, I'm not sure off, that's what it was for, but... <laughs> got kicked off Mandalorian and now is like, I'm going to make a movie with Ben Shapiro. And it's like, oh, right. bitch, please. Yeah. Please don't do that. I'm going to make Miss Smith Goes to Washington, produced by The Daily Wire, and it's going to be very <laughs> watchable. Uh-uh. Yeah, but yeah, I feel like Haywire got like almost no attention. It's sort of crammed right. in here with all this other stuff. And it's like, you want like a tight action movie that's very stylish? Mm-hmm. Dude, Haywire's actually a lot of fun. And that <sighs> is the end of Diana saying nice things this segment. <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, man, I have... I, I don't recall seeing critics so cruel to a movie. And I, I, didn't, I didn't know anything about this movie until it came out. Jeffrey Wright, John Goodman, Viola Davis, Max von Sydow, Sandra Bullock, Tom Hanks, and Thomas Horn in Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. And then it was one of those movies where like, oh, I need to read all the reviews of this because like this is kind of, most of it is brutal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, a lot of it was anger because it's, pulled a ton of award nominations all over the place before it went into wide release Mm. and i suspect people just saw oh it's got tom hanks sandra bullock it's from an acclaimed novel about (laughs) 9-11 it's about 9-11 it's directed by a guy who's very reliable did you know the reader and the hours and it's like yeah but um so I was, I know we did an Oscar time about this back in 2011 for, or 2012, because I remember screaming in your kitchen, Chris, about how much I hated this movie. <laughs> yes. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Like Diana just scaring me off. I didn't watch oh, it. I was time. not alone on this. Like the critics were brutal. And I feel a little bit bad about that because I think a lot of critics and probably myself included didn't make allowances 
really that the main character is on the autism spectrum. Mm. He he says he got tested, but it's not definitive. But we see right. no indication of that. Uh, everything about this movie is screaming that he is on the spectrum somewhere. Right. So it's about this kid who's on the spectrum. Tom Hanks is his dad who, you know, is like connecting with him as best he can and like helping him relate to people and get out of his shell more. And then he dies in the Twin Towers. And he finds, you know, this envelope and thinks his dad left like a, a little scavenger hunt for him and goes out trying to, you know, solve this mystery. And it's a search I... for meaning where there is none. This yeah. kid is desperate to have his dad's death make some sort of sense. So when he finds this thing that means nothing, he puts meaning on it because he doesn't have any. Mm. Right. And so I, I was pretty brutal on this. So <laughs> kind of like when we talked about Rain Man, I wanted to see how do people with autism feel about this movie? And I felt bad because I found a fair number of them saying that this was a good representation, you know, that sort of is his mannerisms and using repetitive motions. And he, he carries his tambourine around, you know, to like help him deal with his anxiety and drowning out sounds and all that. That's something I feel like works better in a book because I got real sick of listening to that fucking tambourine. <laughs> so there were a lot of people thought this was a really good representation and there were plenty more who just said this is he's too much of a magical pixie sweet adorable innocent child and he's just quirky look how quirky and cute it is to have autism and it's like yeah i wouldn't want to be represented that way either as being like like a little magical pixie instead of someone who has their own way of thinking and adapting is hard yeah. is so fucking schmaltzy god damn it yeah uh it is it made me cry I watched this and it definitely made me cry at the end. You're 100% right. It is schmaltzy. There is a lot of things that aren't enjoyable about this film, but the story itself I found touching just because this kid lost his father and he's really trying to connect with this world. Because at the end of the day, this is not a Tom Hanks and Sandra Bullock movie. This is a Thomas Horn film. It's about yep. his journey, his story, and they're really ancillary to it. We see his journey. It's cheesy at times, but I thought there was a lot of heart there. Yeah, I uh, rewatched most of it, and a lot of my anger has dissipated towards it of just like, okay, yes, I do find it laying it on a bit thick, but there is good stuff in here. Just, yeah, it was too too treacly for me, but I, I feel bad... <laughs> Now, 10 years, 10 years ago, a lot of the things that made me mad at this kid thinking like, these are just cute quirks and finding out like, oh, no, that's really different ways people with autism adapt or cope. And I now I feel like I'm making fun of a, a kid with a, I don't even want to say disability, a difference that is like, I, I wasn't trying to be mean to that. I was trying to be mean at the filmmakers because I saw the filmmakers are like, oh, yeah, we talked to lots of experts or people who work with autistic people and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, did you talk to anyone with autism then? We said we, we talked, talked to, to critics. Oh. <laughs> yeah, we talked to doctors. Like, well, could you talk to a guy? At least, you know, Rain Man Dustin Hoffman worked with a guy and got to know him. So, yeah, it's probably there, just better. As a no matter how bad you feel. Mm. You are not as scathing as these reviews. Someone is calling it emotional blackmail, poisoned <laughs> Oscar bait. <laughs> yeah, people were brutal. And I feel bad because I think the kid, Thomas Ward, does a good job. And he basically, like, this is it. He quit. He's like, I got no. Mm -mm. 
There is a a part where he tells his mother that he wishes she would have been the parent who died on 9-11 instead of his dad. And he says, I didn't mean that. And she just looks at him and says, yes, you did. And they both know that he feels that way. Hmm. So if that is the type of uh, emotional blackmail you can stand in a movie... then this is the movie for your emotional blackmail needs. Yeah. Well, also, you know what its worst crime is? They had a part with James Gandolfini in it, and it didn't test well, and they cut him out of the movie. What? Oh. I hate How that. dare you, hey, sir? Look, I, I do like knowing there's James Gandolfini stuff I have not seen out there. That's always fun. Mm-hmm. Um, we had that, yeah, if you never read about it, that sequel to The Sopranos that was filmed to get, what's his name, to not leave the next it's got Tony and Carmela in the witness protection program in New York. I'm not kidding. This exists. <laughs> this totally exists. It was, it was made to convince an athlete not to leave the Knicks. And really, very few people have seen it. Yeah, it's just it was like a billionaire sizzle reel of trying to get a player not to leave. And it's got Edie Falco and James Gandolfini in it. And you cannot see it, but it has been confirmed to exist. Well, right. We've been holed up in Manhattan in the witness protection program. <laughs> But we don't want we don't want LeBron to leave. Tony. Um, <laughs> <laughs> moving on to man. God damn it. Yeah. God damn it. God damn it. If you're a if you are a nerd and listen, hung on to every word George Lucas said, every interview, because after he made Return of the Jedi, he vowed to make this movie that comes out in 2012. <laughs> In 2012, and this is what happens when you become a procrastinating billionaire. Terrence Howard... Well, and also, people... He couldn't get funding for it. It's true. Because people said, oh, no, a historical drama starring black people isn't going to sell overseas. So he put up the money himself. Do you know how many non-English language speaking countries this opened in? How many? Mm -hmm. Two. Whoa. Oh, no. It went straight to DVD and a couple of others, but non-English language... Two countries, Croatia and Germany. The Croatians love us, man. What? <laughs> that is so crazy. Well, uh, but George Germ- Lucas, and it's a movie about a bombing Brit. Germany. And starring a Brit. What's going yeah. on? Uh, George we- Lucas at the time said he had a lot of problems getting this made due to issues of systematic racism. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the fact that it opened so little in non-English speaking countries, I think speaks to that. Um, it is Terrence Howard, Neo, Nate Parker, Cuba Gooding Jr., and David Oyelowo in Red Tails. We're given hand-me-down planes. Feel like I'm flying my grandfather's Buick. We've done every dirty job you've handed us. You have not assigned us a single forward mission. Train, 11 o'clock. It's military. Let's give those newspapers something to write about. Gotcha! doesn't change what I think of you and your boys. We don't care. Brian Cranston's willingness to play an asshole military man for four seconds in like every movie. He does not. <laughs> but then it's never touched on again. We never see that character. He doesn't yep. interact with any of the main characters and he's not developed at all. It's, it's, <sighs> this movie yeah. could have been so much more. The I problem know. I have with this movie is to me, it really feels like George Lucas went, Remember those 1940 and early 1950s World War II films? Mm-hmm. I want to make a film exactly like that for the Red Tails who never got their 1940s and 1950s war film. And it makes sense. Mm-hmm. He'd, he'd been rewarded for revisiting old-timey formulas up until this mm-hmm. point, so give it a shot. Very much so. But the war movie had progressed since 1952, and this film 
doesn't reflect that at all. All of the characters are total cliches. Mm-hmm. If, if you look at the World War II soldiers in the Simpson episode, the fighting hellfish, they are <laughs> more developed as characters than the characters in this film. Oh, uh, there's a I number. Was so disappointed by this. Yeah. There's a number of really bad directorial decisions, and this gets into a debate about how much did George Lucas direct it, because he's not the director, but it's definitely got his directorial hand yeah, involved. Man. He directed uh, the film... reshoots. They yeah. they filmed it. It's written by John Ridley, who also wrote 12 Years a Slave, and directed by Anthony Hemingway, who's mostly a TV guy. Oh, boy. And who's the other writer? And then one of my favorite humans. They went back and did reshoots with rewrites by Aaron Magruder, creator of the Boondocks. The Boondocks, Aaron Magruder. With George Lucas directing. (laughs) So who knows which part? Yeah, I meant to. I meant to look up an interview with Aaron Magruder about this process because I think if anybody was going to say what was going on, he might have. Oh my god, that just seems so crazy to me. Yeah, so I'm just so so disappointed because the Tuskegee Airmen which is what this movie is about. It's such an amazing story and it deserves a good movie. There mm-hmm. is an HBO one. With uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. <laughs> with, <laughs> called Tuskegee Airmen. I think Lawrence Fishburne is like the main character. And mm-hmm. I appreciate that they don't spend, it's not, the movie starts, they're already, you know, at war. And it's not like, what do you mean black people in my boot camp? They can't fly planes. But it's like, they don't have them overcoming the troubles to just get, you know, into boot camp and learn how to fly. They start with them. no. We've started this unit. These guys know how to fly, but we're treating them like shit and we don't let them in our officer's club because we're a bunch of racist pigs. Mm-hmm. And then they go out there and they show what they're made of and they fucking kick ass because that's how it goes. That's what happened. And then, you know, they get their respect and stuff. But eventually, very eventually. eventually. But man, yeah, the characters are really one dimensional, mm-hmm. really dry, don't get much to do. The dogfighting sequences are really good, though. Uh, it looks like a fantastic PS5 game. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's which I, fair. Which I've yet to play. So. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, those scenes were like really cool. And it's interesting that was it, like a year or I two ago, were, no, I we talked that, about like, Memphis Bell. And yeah. I was like, I would have liked to see this. First of all, I would like to see a Memphis Bell level movie about the Red Tails. And then I would like to see this level effects in Memphis Bell. Yeah, I I found the effects too clean. Honestly, mm. I thought yeah, that that's the a, a great way to put it. Was uh, my my joke about it being a PS5 game is because it does look like shiny, really good CGI, but it's clearly not real. It's mm. not making me suspend my disbelief. It's not dirty enough. It's not chaotic enough. Running it's at just... sixty frames a second. Yeah, I, I, that's a great way to put it because like there's something about this that doesn't look like any of the war footage or flight footage we've seen in movies the last 10 years. Mm. It looks like it looks like a cartoon. And uh, two people die in this film, but you never really feel for them. At least Mm-mm. I didn't. It was just like, I don't even remember who died now. Yeah. Um, and uh, like I said, there were a couple of directorial decisions that I probably could have gone without. Uh, the film opens with inspired by a true story, and then mm-hmm. it cuts to text stating blacks are inferior. So maybe don't do that cut. Maybe maybe do a different cut on that. I I saw yeah. this at the time, and I just here's here's a laser time pitch. Mm-hmm. The non Star Wars, non Indiana Jones movies of Lucasfilm, because mm. this is the only non Star Wars, non Lucasfilm movie George Lucas makes over the course of like fifteen years. Maybe like 
Radioland Murders is in there. And then Disney buys Lucasfilm later this year. And they will never work on anything else. But Star Wars right. and Indiana Jones, Will, and, Will, but that that that's more than fifteen years ago. Okay, yeah. and uh, but yeah, this is this is what Lucas spent his non Star Wars time, most of his non Star Wars time working on. And those little there's there's wonderful moments in between the Star Wars and the Indiana Jones. There even Howard the Duck is this weird oddity, but Willow Labyrinth <laughs> Tucker, a man in his dream. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, it, there, man, there's an advertisement for a Japanese laser light show in the late 80s, and it's just like, <laughs> Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Tucker, a man in his dream. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's included in the light show. <laughs> Touring George Lucas light show. Whoa. And, but I'm, I'm fascinated by this, because I think George Lucas, despite hardships, did manage to get through a couple passion projects and this yeah. being having the kind of sadder report just that she, I mean if this would have come out like 10 years earlier I feel like it would have made so much of an impact like is yeah. HBO made this movie almost twice and oh if you yep. <laughs> not about the movie but I personally right now have some friends working on some red tails projects meaning with the historically and with the planes themselves Ooh. and I'm all <laughs> Which means I'm also sad to report. How do you think they get one of these red tail, these real red tail planes used in the war? How do mm. you think they get them it's from exhibit to exhibit? Uh, truck? No. It, I found out. I was shocked too. You fly them? You fly nice. these planes? From, well, nice until they um, crash, as this, Ooh. as one of them did recently in my hometown. <laughs> oh. on, on landing, it had already hit the ground, and then sort of. And it can be fixed because there's there's a thousand boomer aviator fans who are dying to get in the guts of this well, plane and fix it. I I think I I, I flew a P fifty once. What? Um, oh. I did uh, laser air combat. Oh. and it was propeller. And I think it was a P fifty one. I can tell you though from same. A personal experience, aerial dogfighting is incredibly intense. It mm-hmm. feels like you're playing three dimensional chess while being in a sumo match. The G forces <laughs> are incredible. They make you feel god awful, and every millisecond you are responding to the other person's movement. And if uh-huh. you're one millisecond off you lose. It is really an incredible experience. And I passed out from the G forces. <laughs> really... I, I have video of me going, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying, but yeah, I just flew a plane for the first time. Nice. Semi recently. And like, I didn't know <laughs> planes don't necessarily fly as straight as they think you do. If you fuck up a little bit or hit a window, <laughs> no, you can like, it's n- fucking nuts. And it was really scary. It was, it was really scary flying a plane like 15 degrees sideways. Like, what the fuck? How do I fix this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm never getting into a plane that has fewer than uh, 40 seats. That's just... <laughs> that was that was pretty nuts. Like, uh, hey, how much do you weigh? I'm like, that's offensive. Why would you ask me that? And like, well, with fuel, if you're over 270, you can't get in here. I'm like, oh, oh, goodness. <laughs> Sorry, yes. Red Tails. Yeah. Red, Red Tails. Red Tails. Like, There's a great movie there. It's just oh, not really this movie. Is. Yeah, a decade no. and a half in the making and fart. Uh, yep. Very sad. And uh, yeah, also has uh, way too many people credibly associated with violence against women in this movie. <laughs> what? what? Yeah, we got Cuba Gooding Jr., Nate Parker. You might not recognize that name. He's the Birth no. of a Nation guy. 
Yeah. Oh. Accused of sexual assault. Terrence Howard accused of roughing up his wife. Yeah. Oh. David Oyelowo, you're cool. Don't do anything <laughs> bad, please. Yeah, and surprisingly, Method Man, squeaky clean. <laughs> Even though one time he threatened to show my asshole shut and keep feeding me and feeding me. <laughs> didn't he, he didn't do it. <laughs> Method uh. Man. All right. Well, you know what's cool? We have two action movies starring women this week. All right. For 20 just in 2011. What's not cool is Underworld and Resident Evil <laughs> are two series I hate that are action series starring women and as a killjoy feminist, I should be first in line for them mm. and I hate both those I, series and I don't care. I hate them so very much. I, I think I like so. Underworld more. Yeah, Underworld than less Evil. so, but like I just gave up on it. This is the fourth Fourth of five, yeah. Fourth of five. Charles Dance here again. Uh, yeah, Chuck D. India Isley, <laughs> Theo James, Michael Elay, Elay, Stephen Race, Kate Beckinsale. Number one at the box office. Underworld Awakening. I'll burp later. I used to hear stories of the Death Dealers, but they were a thing of the past. For twelve years, I was held captive. The world has changed. A new enemy has emerged. Humans. Humans. On January 20th, the underworld comes to our world. Your kind will never be as powerful as us. This is a new war. Underworld Awakening. Rated R. Rated R. Uh, Okay, that's an interesting concept. These have always been old timeier movies and i didn't i did not realize i knew i wasn't gonna watch this movie jr's here he's scrappy he's gonna watch this yeah <laughs> yeah so i've only seen underworld one yeah me too this movie mm-hmm. and i looked it up in the previous movie to this movie miss underworld i don't know her name uh becomes a daywalker. you know she can now walk in the day and that seems like it would be an interesting way to change things up. No, not really. Nothing's really changed. Uh, this movie it didn't make her husband uh, add take off that blue filter on the camera that he leaves on all the time. He didn't even the... direct this one. <laughs> it's like the aesthetics were written in stone. You have mm-hmm. uh, tons of reasons to change the aesthetics from the first movie in this movie, but you don't. It's just exactly like movie number one. The Vampires are always portrayed as being in hidden, the secret society. And this movie starts out with them being revealed and then completely skips over what would be the interesting story, which is the vampire human war. How mm-hmm. how does the world react to learning supernatural realities are real? How does it interface with non-human life forms that prey on humans? That could all be explored now. It's not. It's just jumping in time. She gets cryogenically frozen. She has a kid while frozen. Oh, that would be something you could explore. How does she feel about that? No, it's not really explored. It's just like she is as blasé about having a kid (laughs) as I am over which type of chicken to choose at the supermarket. Do I want the legs or the drum? That is the level of care and commitment she has to the fact that she was pregnant and that baby got removed while she was uncomfortable. The kid, they could have explored what does this kid act like when she was raised in a lab her entire life? No, no, she's fine. Living in isolation your entire life in a laboratory environment. No problems. Yeah, this... What annoyed me, I admit I didn't watch this whole thing, but it seemed like 
this is where Underworld starts to kind of cross into Resident Evil territory because now we have like the big corporate conspiracy with like super science and we're going to breed werewolves at blah, 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 as opposed to the earlier ones, which were pretty much just vampires versus werewolves secretly battling. And it was stupid, but fine, you know, yep. fine. This is stupid, I, but not fine. I just I, yeah. I love that you bring those two up because like I, I think Mila Jovovich is hilarious and adorable, cute as a bug's mm. ear. But yep. being lost in the Resident Evil franchise for so long, it's like I never see her anything. In Kate Beckinsale, I don't think I would recognize a picture of her because she has been exclusively locked into this series that I've ignored <laughs> for so many years. Like, I, what the hell else is she even in? I can't even remember sometimes. Both of those women are locked into the franchises their husbands started directing. Yeah. And have, have had an astounding lifespan given, well... They make a ton of money. Critically, they've yeah. always performed poorly. Exactly. They're they're made for, you know, a medium budget. They mm-hmm. do great, especially overseas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you want to know? Mm. What? They get to what? work with their family. Their kids are probably on set. You know, whole, the whole family <laughs> takes a vacation to Prague. You film five of these and you go home. Turn the movie blue, put it out in theaters. We're good. Yep. So JR's <laughs> a fan. That's what I'm hearing. That's number one at the box office. Underworld Awakening. Fine, we'll move on to television. I don't give a shit. Napoleon Dynamite, the animated series on Fox, premieres for a whole six episodes. Why? Yeah, that is more than it deserved. This is a complete ruination of Napoleon Dynamite, the film. Mm. There is nothing about the film that has been translated into cartoon format in a enjoyable way. It's just, well, the first episode, when you think of Napoleon Dynamite, what you think about is a teenager who gets a special type of cream that gives him amazing uh, physical what? prowess and then he fights in a thunderdome that's what you think of right what that's that's napoleon dynamite that just captures the movie to a t what what, what happened wait what, what seven years after the movie yeah it's not even that long and i think uh, if you remember that statistic not statistic that trivia point the post-credit sequence of napoleon dynamite costs more than the entire movie what? Yeah. I, I haven't heard this. Yeah. Yeah. Because the movie, if you've seen it, it doesn't like, there's like six people in it and it's shot in the middle of nowhere. It doesn't cost shit. Okay. This, every episode of this television series costs more than the entire film that it's You're being based right. off of. And yep. yeah, I just remember I, I hated Napoleon Dynamite when I saw it. I have softened a little bit on Napoleon Dynamite. Why not? I'm okay. Why not make a softer, more twee Mormon version of a Wes Anderson movie? Let's do it. Shouldn't have hated it so much, but no. Did I want more of it in the world? Uh, uh. That was a lightning in a bottle thing. You're never going to recapture that, especially with this. I mean, just the network that it's on, the things it has to nestle in between. How do you sandwich this in between the Simpsons and Family Guy and American Dad? It's going to have to have some of that vibe. Yeah, mm. you turn it into American Dad. Yeah. That's what you do. Oh, mm. Napoleon Dynamite. Pshaw. Fox, they're at it again on the 16th. A show I wanted to watch, but I remember laughing at with all the other San Franciscans. Uh, <laughs> Alcatraz. But fun premise. Both the prisoners and the guards disappear in 1963, but abruptly reappear. Marvel blip style in modern day San Francisco, where they are being tracked down by a government agency to prevent them from committing further crimes. While also determining, uh, determining the reasons for their return. Alcatraz. This is the J.J. Abrams television show about a big, mysterious island that has a lot of crazy things happening. (laughs) 
You got your lost in my prison break. You got your prison break in my lost. But the first episode starts with a guy who is very low-key chill with being teleported to the future. I mean, in his mind, he is 50 years in the future. He has no idea how it happened, but he's just like, I guess this happened now, so I'm going to go get my revenge. I mean, you don't want to, like, marvel at an iPhone or, or, or be like, huh. I'm yeah, in the future like, now. Dude, just just go to that dildo store right there in the wharf and like <laughs> yeah. this astonishing amount of technology sexually has come about. Peep that shit. And I, th- I think that Even that though. JJ formula, people were kind of getting a little wise to it. Well, yeah. that is a mystery. When are you going to solve it? Oh, yeah. Mm, we went yeah. through this before. Did you think of a solution before you started? <laughs> or are you going to pull one out of your butt after four seasons? Wow. Yeah. I, I had no time for this. Even though like I only went to Alcatraz once, like like almost 15 years in San Francisco. That is a great setting for anything. It is astonishing. It exists. It is the coolest thing to tour. Shoot as much as you want on it. It's Alcatraz rules. I have lived yeah. here 27 years. Mm-hmm. Never been. Yeah, for th- shame. For <laughs> shame. Never been. You can take that tour of the, the prisoners narrating it for you. Just But just like this, me, I, don't, I, I hate to use the word draconian because I never knew what it meant. But it's but <laughs> this mean obelisk outside one of the nicest cities in the universe. Yeah, I think that's part of why I don't want to go. It's like it's a torture factory. It's yeah. a psychological torture factory. I don't know if I need to see this. But it's been kept up immaculately, and you get this beautiful view of the city and that thing of the prisoners and guards narrating what's going, like what had happened there. It's mm. beautiful. You don't have a tour guide. You don't have Phil Hartman from So I Married an Axe Murder. His friends call him Vicky. Uh, <laughs> thanks for laughing at that reference. I did not assume anybody would get. Moving on. I did, we did have another birth celebrity birthday episode. And who the fuck else are you going to celebrate? Not only do you have to be more beloved, you got to be older. 60th birthday? Who gives a shit? Tom Hanks has been 60 like twice. <laughs> Betty White. Betty White's 90th birthday celebration. See, that's why I think yeah. this is the last one of these anyone's ever going to do. It's Probably. too old-fashioned a concept. I don't know who else they would do it for that would agree to it because it's so goddamn old-fashioned. You have to be 90 years old to get on board. Yeah. To want yeah. to do this sort of thing. Yeah, something young, something parents and grandparents are like, oh, that's nice, and something young children wouldn't roll their eyes at. Will we ever have another being like that in our little universe? I don't Would think so. Would you watch Harrison Ford's yes. 80th birthday? Yes. Party? I'd watch oh, it. Oh, yeah. yes. Yeah. That was, uh-huh. I knew JR was going to pull something out of his ass I would love. Yes, Harrison Ford I would watch. But Yeah, because he'd hate it. <laughs> <laughs> and he'd be really high. <laughs> so that'd be pretty funny. Uh, and then he'd crash it. And he wouldn't dress up, but he'd put in nineteen earrings in one ear. So like I said before, that you know, the day the day or two after Betty White passed were great on Twitter because it was just nonstop clips. And there, there were a couple clips from this that were pretty good. They got Barack Obama, who was president, who said he didn't believe that Betty White was ninety and demanded to see her long foreign birth certificate. Uh, <laughs> ah. I, that was pretty cute. But yeah, you know, they got all the all the oldsters together. A lot of people. I mean, you know, you got Carl Reiner over here. You got Hugh Jackman over there. It's like freaking insane because everybody loves Betty. And I, I should point out the 17th would have been her 100th birthday. Hashtag Betty White Challenge. Give five bucks to your local animal shelter. Because I was stupid enough to subscribe to Paramount Plus. I've been going through the old roast, which is both like hilarious and like <laughs> collar tugging. <laughs> Oh. And and I managed to find like which one of these is the most recent yet has the most dead people. Oh, and that would be the William Shatner roast. It has a great set by Betty White. It does. 
It, but it also has uh, performances by Fred Willard, Farrah Fawcett, and Greg Giraldo. And once again, Aww. guess who's there and still alive? Artie Lang. Outlived them all. Outlived, <laughs> outlived them all. God, damn it. Uh, <laughs> once again. But that Betty White said in that is great. I had nowhere else to mention that. But this is also the premiere of Betty White's new show. Betty White has a new network show yep. at 90. Yep. 90. The Bob Hope. Of Bob Hope's generation, for the fuck's sake. What is going on? What is going on? <laughs> and it runs for three seasons. three seasons. This is basically oldsters pranking people a la Candid Camera. I mean, yeah. you get what you get for that premise. Yeah, um, Betty White's off their rockers. I accidentally caught this a couple times, and it was really dumb. But there were a couple times, like, yeah, I laughed out loud. Just, you know, old people saying inappropriate things to young people is always funny. It, well, but like what? How does how do old people? Re- you remember when we fought New Zealand in World War II? <laughs> yeah, you fucking liar! <laughs> just walk away. Yeah, uh, but there's lots of stuff like, "Oh, Sonny, can you help me with this dubstep?" It's like you know, <laughs> all right, I'm back. Just in. doing unexpected I'm back. things. I'm it's, back in. it's fine. And of course, it's the 69th Golden Globes. Nice. Right, wow, <laughs> both did that with no provocation and total unison. Uh, the Descendants wins Best Drama. The The Fartist wins Best Musical or Comedy Film. I say, why not? It, it's kind of It musical. was silent. They could have been farting that whole time. You wouldn't know. <laughs> oh, no. That's why they were wiping <laughs> the lens so much. Homeland wins Best Drama Series. Uh, Modern Family wins Best Musical or Comedy. I just wanted to create some tension there. And uh, Downtown Abbey wins Best <laughs> Miniseries uh, or Television I- Movie. I could not figure this out. I, I, I Googled it. I couldn't get an answer for why this counted as a miniseries because it was it was a series. I mean, yeah. if, it's, if it's made in England, you'd never know. They make six and walk away for 14 years, and mm. who knows if they're going to redress it. That's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, that's, wow, almost 10 years to the week, Gosford Park comes out and inspires the whole shebang. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And then, man, this is a good episode. The Office airs the episode Pool Party. On January 19th, Robert California gives a tour of his house. His house, by the way, I'm still obsessed with that. Indoor pool. Indoor <laughs> mm-hmm. pool. That That's how much Dunder Mifflin pays a Michael Scott? <laughs> like, No, you know, he's yeah. CEO of Dunder Mifflin. Oh, that's right. He but he's just convinced right. the owner to quit their job and give it to him. <laughs> yeah. was a good character. But a house that cool within driving distance of Scranton. All right, we're going to have Joe Biden all over our shit. But then Jim tells us in this clip how to leave a party early. You're looking at the master of leaving parties early. The key is you have to make a strong impression. So you want to have a picture taken. You want to say some peculiar non sequitur that people remember. You want to note something unique, a talking point for later. I don't mean to brag, but New Year's Eve, I was home by nine. So that's that's one of those office things that have become part of my being. You know, like, okay, if I want to leave this party early, what would Jim do? What would Jim do? Uh, but it's a very funny episode. Uh, I think you can compare and contrast this episode with the dinner party episode. You know, there's a lot of similarities between the two. Uh, and the dinner party episode is just the best. I mean, it, it's my easily in my top five office episodes of all time but this is very funny all the characters are great we really get to know robert california in this episode in a funny manner i feel like he was a good character to use in the office as a dash 
but he could have never been the next Michael Scott. He mm. wasn't the right fit for that role sure. in the series. Video games of 2012, the 14th to the 20th of Scary <laughs> Girl comes out uh, this week on January 18th for PS360. Previously a graphic novel by Nathan... Mm-hmm. How do you say that last name, JR? You know how to do it. Gervases. Oh, shit, that was good. I was trying to stump you. <laughs> uh, so this is Earthworm Jim Goes to Hot Topic. Um, <laughs> your, your protagonist uh, has one arm that is a bone and the other is a tentacle. And she uses the bone to hit people and the arm to whip things and swing from things. It's a very Tim Burton vibe. Uh, you know, if that's the type of thing you like, this is the type of thing you'll like. And we also have Amy, something I, I think Michael, I don't know what it is, but Michael mentioned it recently because he's Wikiparis for a reason. And uh, one of my favorite games, Dust Force, is out now on PC and will hit... Other platforms, so many years later, it's not even funny. And that is almost it for the show. We're going to tell you who was born and who died during this period of 30, 2010, and we're going to have a little quiz. I don't I don't know. Did I beat JR last time? How am I doing? You beat me. Oh, it, hell yeah. Just hell barely. Yeah. It was real close. I, I, it, was still a, champ. it was a buzzer, but you, you still got it. As a buzzer uh, beater, so right still now, a beater. Oof. Zero to one. Zero to one. Put it down the wiki that no one's keeping score of. But before we do that, I got to tell you, like, thank you guys for listening and consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash laser time. There is so much unique content coming this week to the Patreon, including a video games uh, of 30 2010 and a really, really fun bonus episode where I actually have an anecdote outside of my house to talk about for like the first time in like two years. But also Michael and Matt talk with me about a couple nostalgic movies like Ghostbusters Afterlife and Matrix Resurrections. It's one of the most fun conversations I've had with those two because we don't get to talk about movies very often. And I had a great time with it. And I encourage you to listen at the $5 level, patreon.com slash laser time. And Di, where can people find you? They can find me on the Twitter at listeninerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast, 302010podcast. Coming up next week, oh boy, more fun. Liam Neeson, Punching Wolves. It begins. Green Tomatoes, Getting Fried. Oh. Tim and Eric, Spending a Billion Dollars on a Movie. I think you just wrote my intro. Sweet. (laughs) (laughs) JR, what about you? Uh, they can find me on the Twitter as J-R-R-A-L-L-S, and uh, I do a podcast called Talking Terrific Television, where we are covering The Sopranos. Up this week is Johnny Cakes. Oh, shit. Oh, you, oh. that stupid bastard. That is, that is, All is, he is had that, to do was work a regular job like a regular person. That is one of the only episodes of Sopranos where, where a character narrates something. It never happens in any other episode, and it's just for a gag. That's I've been on that show. Love that show. Talking terrific television. Yep. Oh, Laser Time is going to have a new episode this week. The Our favorite movies of 2010 with my buddy Kev from Cap City Video. 2021. There's so many fucking takes. <laughs> They're canceling one another out. And it's me, Sarah, is on that show as well, debuting her new microphone, which I hate. We're going to be doing our our best ofs. No, no. Everyone did the wrap-up last year. They missed Boba Fett and some of those movies that came out on the 25th. They don't know. Can't do your wrap-up list December 2nd. Truly, what's the best of 2021? Video Game Apocalypse as well. Listen to that every Friday. Die. Who die? Oh, man. These guys, within three days of each other, we got two people who worked together a lot. In 2011, we lost Etta James, who was 73, and Johnny Otis, who was 90. Etta James, big singer, at last. Mm Mm-hmm. My God, something's got a hold on me. Just an amazing singer. And one of the people she worked with, especially early on in career, is Johnny Otis, who is, you know, a producer, a ranger. He had a radio show back when I was 
well, probably 30 years ago or so, he had a radio show and on AM out of like Long Beach. Wow. And I would listen to it on Sunday nights after The Simpsons when I was working on my homework. <laughs> and that's how I got introduced to like really good early rock, like Sister Rosetta Tharp and like Big Joe Turner and stuff. And up until literally this minute, I did not know he was not black. He was Greek. Huh. <laughs> he was just kind of dark skinned and he decided... I'm on those guys' side. And he lived in a black neighborhood and his wife was black and Filipino. And I had no idea. Mm. Yeah. Johnny Otis was, he was everywhere in early rock and roll. Mm. So yeah, I like that. R. Anyway. R.I.P. Johnny Otis. As if we needed R. more R. death Otis. in this episode. But with those deaths out of the way, it's time for the b -b -b birthdays. Oh, birthday is a doodly doo. A ding dong doodly doodly ding dong doo. Oh, I've decided to do something different this week. Oh, no. Character names. Okay. okay. We're not going to talk about the movies. We're going to talk about this person turning 60 this week, born January 17th, 1962, played Peter Appleton, Carl Allen, lounge entertainer, and Walter Getz. Oh, those all sound so familiar. I don't see any movement in JR's eyes. He doesn't have this either. Uh, right. Let's hear some. How about Johnny Squares, Whiplock, and the adult Joe Wentworth that narrates the movie? I, is one of those a Transformer? No. Okay. I feel like this guy must be super famous. That's why she's doing this, because mm -hmm. this guy yep. is super famous. Mm -hmm. How about Walter Sparrow, Detective Fingerling, oh and God. Charlie Bailey Gates, and Hank Evans? Those are two uh, movies, four characters. I am learning that I know no movie characters. Yeah, well, all of these sound a little familiar. Well, they're going to start getting easier. We started with the hardest ones. Let's move to Tom Popper, Stephen J. Russell, and Horton the Elephant. Uh, Steve Carell. No, nope. Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. Jim you got Car it. <laughs> the next ones were Fletcher Reed, Ernie Chip Douglas, Ebenezer Scrooge, and all three ghosts, The Grinch, Truman Burbank, and Andy Kaufman. I would have those... got it at, uh, at Scrooge. Yeah. I would have got it at Scrooge. Yeah, so those were Jim Carrey's characters in <gasps> The Majestic, Yes Man, Pink Cadillac, Peggy Sue Got Married, The Deadpool, Earth Girls Are Easy, that's Whiplock, Simon Birch, that's the narrator, The Number 23, right. Me, Myself, and Irene, Mr. Popper's Penguins, I Love You, Philip Morris, Horton, Here's a Who, Liar, Liar, Cable Guy, Christmas Carol, Grinch, Truman Show, and Man on Them. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that, I even got it from the worst version of Horton. Watch Horton, Here's a Who, the Seuss special, or the Warner Brothers, the Chuck Jones one from back in the Warner Brothers days. Yeah. Yeah, so Jim Carrey, 60. Look 60, 60. Well, seems like know. he's doing well. Yeah, I never know with him. I never know if this is Zen <laughs> or depression when he's talking. That's but true. I do, I do enjoy his presence. And, and when he's out there having fun, I'm like, good for him. Make your art, buddy. Yeah. You, yeah, you, I enjoy you've given me a lot. You've given me a lot. Funny on Twitter, seemingly enjoying his time on the Sonic the Hedgehog movie, even though it seems very much beneath him. But <laughs> <laughs> as long as he's enjoying himself. Oh, thank you guys so much for listening to the show. Consider becoming a patron. Patreon.com slash LaserTime. And let's close out with, uh, wow, No Son of Mine by Genesis. What inspired this? This is, it's hitting the charts this week. We had uh, We Can't Dance come out by Genesis. That's a reunion album come out in late 91. Mm -hmm. And then it just, it takes it a couple weeks, but then all of a sudden, like so many singles come off of this damn thing. And the first one's No Son of Mine, which is pretty good jam, honestly. It was it was confusing as a, as a little kid. I hadn't heard of Phil Collins yet. So I hear this song and my parents are like, that's Phil Collins. And then later on, people would correct me, no, that's fucking Genesis. But I think this is like the first Phil Collins song I hear on my own radio. No, ah. son of mine. I remember this very well. Yeah. There's good songs off of this. Um, Jesus, he knows me. We could go with that one, too. <laughs> Making fun of televangelists. It's a great one to drive to. <laughs> it's fun to sing along. I'll be honest. Yeah. 
<laughs> but yeah, no son of mine. I mean, it's the first single, so I figured, yeah, let's go with that. Hell yeah. Well, thank you guys for listening to 302010. Maybe tell a friend, give us a review, a rating. We love you. We'll see you next week. Yeah.